I, I still, I'm still working on the perfect yo. Because it's like, yo, that's a good one, but like it's got to have a little bit of a gravel, like a little bit of a hardcore, yo. But anyway, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Where It Went podcast. Greg, we're in double digits now. Oh my God, we're in double digits. We're in so, double digits. We need an extra candle on the cake. Technically, this is our 12th episode, right? Yeah. yeah. This, but we're on Revelation 010010. Well, first, Greg, why don't you tell us what we do on this podcast every week? We are going through the Revelation Records catalog from Warzone to whatever they release next. I think they're close to 200 releases. So you're going to, if you're a fan of Revelation, you're going to be hearing from us for quite a while because as you saw too, this past week, you know, we are going to take some detours here and there to sort of break things up. Um, so, you know, that last week's episode of what was said, notice we put volume one. There's going to be more of those just because, you know, for timing and everything to have. But uh, yeah, we're talking in most cases with, the people who played on these records and we are taking deep dives into what it was like writing the songs, what it was like recording the songs, what it was like playing them live and being in the band uh, at that time. So we hope everybody enjoys and this week's, I know we say this every time, but this is a big one um, chain of strength. Uh, and because of the way revelation works with their numbers, we talked about the True Till Death 7-inch, but we also kind of got to talk about their entire uh, body of work because the 12-inch uh, um, has is Rev 10 as well. So that was awesome. And I guess this is a big one too because there's no other Chain of Strength releases. So like this is the only time that we're going to be talking about Chain of Strength. Now they did mention in the interview about the reissue. Mm. That is a different catalog number. We might have to make another... Uh, phone call but other yeah, than that this episode is huge this is a seminal record it's an essential record it's a crucial record mm -hmm. this is a very important hardcore record for a lot of people and to be able to talk about the the guys who made that record in a very respectful concise and deep way was it, it, it just an incredible experience to be able to add something like this out there. You know, there's so many books and zines and interviews and blogs and whatever, but I feel like <clears throat> this is just a little bit different. And, and, and we talked to three of the five members. We talked to Alex, Frosty, and Ryan, um, who all, you know, it's a longer one, but... I wouldn't have it any other way yeah. because, you know, I know Jason's excited. His Jason's Jeez. entire life has been leading up to today. That's true. I mean, <laughs> and it didn't disappoint. <laughs> it definitely didn't disappoint. Have you ever heard Count Me Out? If you have, you know that th this is literally like, I'm, I'm going to have to be doing like a wellness check on Jason to make sure his head doesn't explode. This is a big one. <laughs> yeah. This is a big one. And this is why I like doing this podcast. Yeah. This is why I love doing this podcast. Same. And, and it's it's like, it's like, you know, when we started it, we were like, we're going to keep the episode to like 45 minutes or an hour. Yeah. It's, it's, it's honestly impossible to do that because yeah. there's just so much gold 
And, you know, if it takes someone two to two work days to listen to it or whatever, so be it. You know, now you get double the fun, but I guess we should probably dive into the interview. But first I do feel like it might be time to, I want to give a bit of bow to uh, this episode sponsor mission Two entertainment. Um, I guess sort of fitting because Dag Nasty was mentioned a lot with Chain of Strength. And, you know, a lot of, everyone has their different opinions on who is the, the definitive Dag Nasty singer. But I feel like nobody that's into Dag Nasty can argue the importance, at least, whether or not it's your favorite, of Can I Say, right? Well, Can I Say, the vocalist on that record is Dave Smalley. And Dave Smalley has a new band that has a record on Mission 2. It's called, uh, it's, they're called Don't Sleep. And the record's called Turn the Tide. It's a freaking awesome record. If you like Dag Nasty, Can I Say, if you like Melodic Hardcore, um, you're definitely going to want to check it out. Uh, they worked with Walter Schreifels of Gorilla Biscuits, Quicksand, and Youth Today. He worked on a couple songs uh, that you know he produced and helped write, does a little bit of backups. Uh, Brian McTurnan, another Revel- uh, Revelation alumni from Battery, and now his new band, Be Well. He uh, engineered some of it. Um, and the band's just super tight, cool guys. We interviewed them for um, our a Patreon bonus episode, which I guess by the time this comes out, Hav, or close to it, we'll we'll have those out. Yeah, I'm gonna try um, and have it out the same week so that you know it'll be important inf- or information that can be shared between the two episodes. Yeah. So it's and and don't sleep. Just like all the other Mission Two stuff, have some awesome merch. Uh, I know personally, I've got this yellow long sleeve champion t-shirt that's super tight um not tight fitting although i am big <laughs> so most clothing, most clothing tight. will be tight but tight in a good way so yeah mission two entertainment uh our instagram right now has a link it'll take you right to the store um and then that way they'll know that we sent you um so do that and uh big ups to mission two bit of bow um and do we have yeah. any other bit of bows I got I got bit of bows for, for days on this what one. What do you got? Well, I want a bit of bows. Steve Hertz, him and Ryan Hoffman, they put out the Count Me Out EP on Ambassador Records, and so I just want to give him a shout. Let him know I'm thinking of him. Um, Bjorn from Rise and Fall and Chain Reaction in Belgium. Rob Moran from Hardwork Coffee and uh, Austin Stemper from Half Heart. He gave me a lot of questions and info that I should ask about on this episode. So bit of bow to all of them. Sick. Yeah, right, I guess I also want a bit of bow just because I know big fan. Um, I want a bit of bow Tim McMahon, mm. um, because you know he's he's like a chain, he's you know chain crew and all that. He did get a mention in the episode, but um, I'm sure that for our socials this week, by the time this drops, he's gonna have a lot of chain gold for us all. So gold I'm, chains. Yeah, I'm giving him like a, I'm giving him an advanced bit of bow for the so, fact that he's going to be sending us stuff. Um, and also, uh, I want a bit of bow. My friend Brian Convery, fan of the pod, uh, he sent me pictures uh, as well that I'll share uh, by the time this comes out, Chain of Strength related uh, pictures of the second record. If someone wants to know about the Chain Crew 7-inch and some of the stories about that with Tim McMahon, where do you think they would be able to read that on the World Wide Web? Mm. Double, double Cross double, fanzine? Double Cross? No. 
No, no, it's not up there anymore. I feel there? like I feel I don't know. My, my, my masking. I'm asking you. Oh, I thought on? this was. I was no. going to say maybe a bit of bonus episode. Well, I feel, uh, I, but I feel like I've read this recently somewhere about all this information about the double cross or about the, um, the chain crew seven inch and Tim taking all that is, where's that information live? I don't know. We'll have, have to, to find it. himself. Yeah. We might have yeah. to get, well, well I'm fucking down. Tim, I think that'd be killer. Yeah. Tim, we want you for a bit of bonus episode bonus. just yes. on, just on chain of strength and chain crew. Yeah, let's do it. So I guess with that said, let's dive into the chain. Let's jump in. Yeah, so today we're going to talk about the True Till Death 7-inch first and then about the 12-inch version because they both share the same Rev catalog number. So um, basically anything that you can remember, you know, we don't really want to go too far into the history of the band. Um, Frosty, or actually Ryan, you were on the 185 Miles South podcast right and talked a lot about the history from the transition from justice league to chain of strength so you know i don't i don't really feel like we need to cover that stuff but we really want to cover the actual records the reception you know the release and all that stuff i guess the first thing we want to point out is that the true till death seven inch was actually your demo and from what i understand people were like big mad about that initially like there's these kids and this they don't even have a demo they don't have anything and now they have this record on revelation and what's up with that so how crazy was that as teenagers to where your first fucking thing that you record turns out to be a record on revelation records well, I'll talk a little bit about it. I mean, um, I think uh, it was fu it's funny, just like the whole thing sort of happens so fast, you know? Um, um, and yeah, I think, I think people were a little upset in the scene because we sort of came from, from nowhere. Um, and then our, you know, our, we just started, you know, um, people were just learning about us and our first show was with, you know, was was like an amazing huge show uh, with Soulside and Underdog and Youth of Today and, you know, Hard Stance and Instead and and Frosty probably remembers more than that. <laughs> it was, it was our first show, you know? Um, so it's just amazing to kind of start off like that. And I think it was because, you know, we, were uh we were in the scene for years years prior and i don't think people really understood that we came from justice league where we just got off of you know six years of working <laughs> our ass off networking meeting people um so we just got off of that where we knew everybody and so it was definitely an easier launching pad and we learned so much from justice league and the mistakes and you know and uh so yeah so we um we just had that easy sort of launching pad and and we put on the show you know i mean it was it wasn't like someone asked us to be on this so we were just like hey we want to we want to start off with a you know with a bang how is everyone going to learn about chain of strength and we're like damn let's put on a show 
And then, you know, we, we knew Ray and Purcell and we knew Youth of Today was on tour and then it just snowballed. It was kind of like, hey, let's do a show with Youth of Today. And then it was like, Richie from Monroe <coughs> called, hey, we're going to be on tour as well. Okay, you guys run the show. And then Bobby from Soulside called, hey, we're going to be on tour at the same time. Okay, you guys are on the show. It just snowballed. It was crazy. So um, that was our, you know, intro into the scene. And yeah, kind of, you know, it, it bummed a few people out because people, you know, there were other bands that had been working so hard to get to that level. And, and Revelation was, you know, that was the label. I remember talking to, you know, Frosty when we were like, hey, Chris and I, <clears throat> it was just Chris and myself, we're both in Justice League. And we were kind of starting like, and, you know, we were like really into like Echo and the Buddyman and the Smiths. And we were kind of trying to write um, songs like that and just playing with other um, people that were into that kind of music. And then for just kicks, I just were playing kind of, you know, hardcore riffs. And that's where Chris, that's where Chris and I met and that, you know, in hardcore. And then, and then we were just like, whoa after we played like i think it was like just how much or no it wasn't just how much it was it was one of the songs it might have been let down it was one of them that actually turned into a song but it was a riff and we were like dude this is what we should be doing like this is what we're good at because chris and i just locked like right away it was just we knew we can read each other's mind just after you know a year a couple years of justice league playing together and just like we just knew where the breaks were like we were just like pop you know and we're like whoa how did we just have that chemistry and so we were just like okay this is the path we should be on we're so good we're good at playing hardcore you know and we're trying too hard to be playing echo the muddy men and smiths you know it just it didn't come <laughs> easy you know right uh, right so i guess what i wanted to ask is i feel like uh, a lot is always made about like sammy's age but alex how old were you when you <laughs> started playing with them <laughs> 14. Whoa. Yeah, like that's, I have a 14 year old and I can't even get him to leave the house. <laughs> yeah, so you know, I, I didn't play bass. Um, actually, Chris recruited me and I didn't even have a bass. I had to borrow a friend's bass to come. And um, I mean, I won't get into like, I mean, I can if you want me to get into um, when I, you know, I was the last one to join and uh it was interesting to to watch they already had everything you know all those songs for the first ep were pretty much dialed in and they were they were pretty they were pretty fucking tight and pretty powerful okay. so it was it was interesting um because i was just a drummer with chris we became friends and he kind of recruited me i i learned um while in the band and we you know i quickly had to um kind of get my, my, my chops, my, you know, my hot bass lines together. Um, I was 14. I just started my freshman year. So I missed a lot of school, you know, in, but I mean, yeah. So I guess I was another Sammy, but you know, I guess they kind of probably wanted a young guy too, because I don't know, they were kind of old. They were like five years older than me. So they probably needed like an actual kid in the band. Yeah, and when you're when you're that age, like teenager, five years is like may as well be fifty years, you know, like from a ninth grader to somebody that's a freshman in college or something is huge. Yeah, well, you know, obviously like Ryan seemed a lot older. They all seemed older. They all drove. I didn't drive. They all, you know, had jobs and, and 
they all had, you know, nice equipment and, you know, they were really more together where, you know, I, I had been trying to do a hardcore band, was in a, a band briefly called Against the Wall as a drummer. And that's how I met Chris. But, um, you know, these guys, they, they were really um, had their, you know, they kind of had their sound and, and it was interesting because, um, you know, Kurt wasn't really like a cookie cutter, hardcore looking guy. He didn't look like a guy with a shaved head. You know, he was, you know, a Hispanic guy. And it was interesting to kind of, you know, just, it was a different, a different vibe, I think, because of that. But um, being, you know what, these guys kind of had to all like look out for me and, and pay for my way for flights. And, you know, uh, they had to <laughs> Um, they were pretty good at like doing the older brother thing, um, except for you know when when women would take advantage of me on tour. Um, <laughs> they weren't good about like protecting me against that, but um, so, you know whatever they did their best. Yeah, like you're because I guess for me, like as a fan, knowing that you were younger and knowing that you play all these instruments, like you're a drummer, bass player, I've seen you play guitar, I've seen you sing. Um, did you come from like a musical family that you were early on like playing all these instruments? Cause for a 14 year old to be a drummer, bass player, guitar player, that's wild. Well, I didn't really play uh, anything but drums. And you know, I won't try to hog up too much time about like, you know, my deal. But um, when I met Chris, I was just a drummer and at the time, um, you know, he was, he was like, you know, the drummer that I, the first drummer I saw that I was really impressed with because he was pretty much pretty badass drummer. And, um, and he, and he saw me play and he was impressed with me. So we became friends and, he, and he, we realized we lived, like we both lived on the outskirts of LA further from even Ryan Curtis and uh, Frosty. They all lived kind of in Upland, Chino, Pomona, which is all a little bit closer to, you know, LA and, and um, a little bit, I mean, it's suburban, but um, it's almost in LA, I guess you, you could say, but um, I lived in, in like the sticks. I lived in, you know, in like Hickland, um, in the Inland Empire, and so did Chris. So Chris had to pick me up for everything. But um, when we met, we were just drummers. Um, you know, he was an open answer. I was in against the wall. And um, we were just kind of like, oh, shit, like, you know, because honestly, like, not talking shit, but there just wasn't a lot of really solid drummers um, in a lot of, you know, the bands at the time. And, and not to say, like, we were so much better, but, you know, we kind of were a little bit better. And I think we, we became friends. You know, he saw that um, as far as my background, um, I had older brothers um, play you know, they were guitar players and that's why I had like a Gibson SG in my, my, my room when, you know, the first time he came over, he was like, oh shit, you play guitar. I was like, ah, not really, but I actually, you know, could play like power chords and just kind of play minor threat songs or whatever. And um, so he, I think a light bulb went off in his head, like, well, hey, you know, turns out that we're developing this other band and this is obviously Chain of Strength until he brought me over to the Chain House and you know, these guys were all set up in a little, like, Discord-style basement. Um, I think Curtis lived there with, you know, um, good friends of the band and, and you know, Ryan and, and, and Frost. You know, they all, they, they, they just kind of were really on point with um, developing, like, those songs. And by the time I came in and saw them, you know, play those songs, they were, 
they were fucking tight and vicious and like, you know, pissed. And it was all there, you know, it was like Boston, you know, Discord, uh, New York, everything, Cali, you know, it, it was all, the sound was already like, it was all pretty much there. And um, I'm surprised they just kind of assumed that I could learn the bass really quick because that's kind of what happened. But yeah, my, um, I grew up with like an older brother who was a really good guitar player. And so, you know, it was easy for me to, I already seen somebody like just playing guitar. So I understood like kind of, you know, like how the guitar is like in sync and I never really played bass. And I actually kind of, that was my first time recording, you know, any, I was, the, that was actually, that was my first recording period, like in any, you know, situation. Wow. And, and, That's nuts. And it was weird because I remember Ryan and Chris like looking over at me when I had a like overdub like a part a bass break and the, the the song never understand, and they were like two proud fathers just like oh look at how cute, and um, <laughs> and it was, and it was funny because I really like was just like oh cool, um, but yeah like you know it was it was uh, it was obvious that these guys were just you know tight they were just really tight already uh you know frosty every they're all you know kurt just blasted through those songs you know see it was interesting because uh it was my first time in a studio with guys who seem like they well i don't know if they knew what they were doing but to me they seem like very <laughs> very very like comfortable and and you know i was very kind of nervous because you know i was pretty like it's, it was a little bit like oh shit like you know my first time just recording and you know the headphones it, it was it was uh you know no, i wasn't used to that but yeah you know ended <clears> up <throat> playing I must, oh, oh i was just so, gonna interrupt go but oh, i was just gonna interrupt kind of on that note like i must say like chris is sort of like this visionary you know i mean he sort of like sees the talent in people it's pretty amazing like uh in al i mean as you know the years go by everyone knows Al looks at an instrument. He knows how to play it. He's amazing. Like he, <laughs> he, he destroyed like Frosty and myself, who have been playing for years. Like in within months, he's just a talented yeah. kid. And Chris sort of sees this in people. And even like <clears throat> Kurt, uh, with you know Chris, uh, Kurt was in a in a band, and we were looking for a singer. On a similar note to like what Alex was talking about, um, we didn't have a singer. We had songs, but no singer. And then, um, and we were, you know, talking about a bunch of different people we knew from, you know, days, you know, we were even talking to, God, I want to even say maybe even like Dubar, you know, like we were talking about talking to Ron from Stalag 13. We were talking about like, hey, how do we get, you know, this band again? We wanted to kind of blow up quick. And then uh, we went to, a, you know, a, a backyard party and uh, I remember I didn't even make it to, or it was a warehouse party and Kurt was in a band, uh, a local punk band. And I remember uh, I didn't even make it to the party yet. I was talking to somebody outside and uh, Chris went in and uh, it, within like five minutes, I, he comes back in the car and I'm like, hey, hey, what's going on? I didn't even make it in the party yet. He was like, that's our singer. I was like, what? He's like, take off, let's go. I was like, I, I want to go to the party. <laughs> He's like, nope, <laughs> we're out of here. That's our singer. I was like, oh, okay. Like, he just knew, like, the PA at this party was terrible. It was a big warehouse, and it was terrible. And the band had, like, 
you know, Marshall Stacks. They had like big equipment. They were kind of like a, I don't know how you would classify malicious intent, but kind of like crumb suckers, you know, type of music. And uh, he was like, because I was asking him why, why this kid, you know, and he said, well, they had big equipment, they were turned to 10, and this guy didn't even have a PA, and you could hear his voice over the music. And he's like, I knew that guy had a big voice, and boom, that's our singer. And it was like, it was like that. Chris just can have, he had, he, know, he knew Al. He knew Al was like, a, you know, a kind of a, a star. Just knew he, he had the, uh, just the ability. I don't know, Chris is really, it's crazy. He, he's, it's pretty crazy how he can recognize these talents. So did you have to work on, did Kurt work on the vocals a lot when you guys were practicing before the demo? Because the singing style from Malicious Intent and then what now is Chain of Strengths, <laughs> like signature style, which rules, like, I just yeah. don't know if that was I mean, a natural think... thing that happened when you went to record it in the studio and then he just busted out these like super emotional, pain felt vocals, or if that was something that was like built up and, you know, like it's the craft was honed, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of weird. Um, I think uh, I, I, at that time, well, I, I may still be a kind of a control freak, but I was, I like, I had those songs all done. You know what I mean? Like, you know, we, we pretty much like had those songs all sort of like handed over to Kurt, just all teed up perfect for him. You know, we kind of knew where the choruses were going to go. We knew the verses, um, you know, I, I'm a terrible singer. So, I, you know, but I know like how I wanted it to hear. And uh, yeah, Kurt, man, Kurt, I don't know what it is, but he just like, yeah, he could read my mind, but he just, you know, he just, you hand him a sheet of paper and bam, like he, he can nail it. Like, yeah. So the lyrics were already he, written and everything was planned out? Yeah, everything, yeah, all the lyrics were Whoa. written. At that point. I think actually Kurt, he wrote, um, you know, it was a collaborative, I would say Chain of Strength is so collaborative. Like, yeah. you know, Al wrote music, Frost wrote music, Kurt, um, wrote some lyrics, you know, I wrote lyrics, Chris wrote lyrics. I mean, it's just been so collaborative, you know, we've all sort of uh, uh, chipped into every piece of yeah. those songs. But I think those initial songs, like, like, like Al was saying, the first record, um, you know, a lot, a lot of these guys sort of showed up a little late, um, where a lot of the stuff was already in development, you know. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but yeah, you know, I, I would say that, yeah, Kurt, man he's just a chameleon in that regard like he can just he can sing whatever you tell him like he, he or you know whatever he's feeling he he's really he's got that gift yeah i so speaking of the songwriting frosty you wrote the song true till death correct i came up with um the riffs and the like the core the main chords for that song i mean that that was definitely me um, I didn't write any lyrics really for the band. I mean, I think Chris, Ryan, and and Kurt really are the ones that that lyrically came up with all of the ideas and the basically the theme for Chain. I mean, it's you know the whole the whole theme for Chain of Strength is about betrayal. So that that was really their thing. But yeah, I mean, definitely those those chords. I mean, I remember just like writing them and bring him to, to to a practice and I mean Chris I think Chris keyed in on it real quick and Chris and I always jammed together a little bit before you know the rest of the band was setting up and I think he was like maybe one of the ones that was like D 
dude, that's, that's like, like, what, what are you, what are you playing right there? I'm like, I oh, was some, some riffs that I came up with. And he's like, and if you, if you think about it, there's really only two chords to the song. Right. Gotta, that's that's gotta, what I was going to say is like, I can't think, I mean, that song is so iconic and hardcore. I've seen so many bands cover it. I was in a band that used to cover it uh, when I played guitar and like, it is two chords, but somehow it is like the most ripping killer like it's an anthem like it, it reminds me and and i think touching on a little bit of what alex said like it has that um boston like i can kind of feel like like ssd a little bit like which i know you guys are all big keyed into that and the dc stuff but yes it's one of these things where you know when you hear the change <clears throat> records all of you guys you can really tell it's collaborative because there's no there's no weak links like there's great guitar playing, great bass playing, great drumming, great vocals. And it really comes together on that song, which again is two chords. And here it is like 32 years later and somebody, you know, starts playing that song. People are going to go off at a show. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. It was, yeah. Um, yeah, it was definitely, uh, uh, you know, it, going back to what Ryan said, I mean, uh, there was a lot of collaboration, but I, initially, I think Ryan and Chris really had a, had a lot of stuff. Um, pretty pretty masterminded. Definitely, definitely were able to. Uh, they they knew what they wanted with this band, so it was really evident. So when you recorded the demo, so you went in thinking, we're going to record this demo and we're going to put this out as a seven inch, or were you just thinking we're going to record this demo and then just see what happens? Because also, I couldn't figure out the timeline, like, was the demo out before the first show, or was it just recorded shortly after the first show? Yeah, um, I'll, I'll, oh, I, I can kind of touch on, I don't know, my, I don't remember much. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> understandable, understandable. Uh, um, yeah, uh, I was touched on that because it's funny because um, once, you know, Frosty entered the band, again, like, I was, you know, I love hardcore, I was, you know, always in the hardcore but you know i drifted away at when i kind of got deep into the you know emo thing with justice league you know i kind of drifted away a little bit i was really into embrace and and bright to spring and um and i remember connecting back up with frosty because we were old friends i used to work at a record store and and i you know frosty would come in and you know he'd buy you know great taste you know uh he was also in you know local bands and so i knew he played guitar um so yeah so it's funny when um, kind of uh, Frosty and I connected again, uh, he was, I said, hey, man, what are you listening to? I knew he was like, you know, the tastemaker. He knew what's up. And, you know, he would, you know, say like, you know, this is, you know, the schism stuff is on point. And, you know, like he would just kind of go into like the revelation, you know. And I was like, I was just kind of just like, you know, sort of like, okay, those were like sort of our targets, you know, because we were already friends with those people, you know? And so, um, so yeah, so we recorded, we recorded the demo. Uh, at that point, Purcell already said, like, I want it on Schism. Just, I would, you know, tell Purcell about it. And I think he listened to like our practice or whatever. Like he was just like, I want this on Schism. And then I remember asking Frosty specifically, dude, like, Purcell wants to do it, like, what's up? Like, do we want, you know, should we be on, you know, are you more into Rev or Schism? You remember that conversation? Yeah, yeah, to totally. Yeah, I remember, um, 
remember you asking on it, but I think, yeah, the demo was like recorded. I mean, as, as a demo, but I think once we had like, you know, the cuts and, the, and like a, a mix from, back from it, we realized it was probably, you know, cool enough to release and uh, had, had like a good sound. But yeah, um, there's definitely a chance when, when it was like, whoa, we, there's like, we have a chance to be on Schism or Revelation. Like th that's insane. You know, it was to me because I was <laughs> super in, super into the label already and like big, huge New York hardcore fans. So um, and at that point, those those bands were all bringing that sound back, which was super rad to um, to to just be be into. So, yeah, super cool, man. So I remember asking, I asked Frosty, you know, hey, you know, what do you prefer? And he's just, you know, Rev at, at the time just had a little more, you know, a bigger catalog and just more bands on it. And it had a little more history. And he said, I, I guess I love Schism. I love Purcell, but, and, you know, Al Brown, but it's like, I'm, I'm leaning, you know, I'm leaning to Revelation because of, you know, Sick of It All and Warzone. It's just like a little more diverse and uh and i said okay I, I said cool you know so i had that in mind you know um and then uh so yeah so we recorded the demo and then our first show uh which was with youth of today and and so i uh in front of the venue you know after like sound check and everything uh you know i said ray hey come check out our demo and uh so we got in the car together and i played them I played him one song. I think it was just how much and just like a few minutes in, he was just like, dude, do you guys want to be on Revelation? And I and said, yeah, of course, hit. before we played our first show. So, it was, yeah, it was before we played our first show. Uh, it was the day of and he said, you want to be on Revelation? I said, hell yeah, let's do this. And then and then we we, you know, we tore it up at that show. We were just on fire. We were oh, so yeah. just, you know, we were just I like, can imagine. And yeah. like, yeah. you know, I think you know, like you said, people maybe gave some shit because like, oh, you're new, but like you guys put in your time and it's funny because nowadays that stuff happens and I feel like nobody bats an eye, like a band comes out of nowhere, yeah. but it has yeah. people that were in other bands. So I never really got why it was a big deal because, you know, yeah, every band sort of starts from scratch, but people like what they know. And when they know the previous you know, groups that, that members played in, they're going to be more prone to check it out. And it, it, you automatically have a little bit of a built-in fan base and, and stuff like that. So I just never really got why it was a huge deal. So can yeah. I say something, can yeah, I say something about that real quick? Um, you know, I think it's, it's natural for um, people to be unaware of, you know, Ryan's history was pretty significant because he obviously, um, you know, he he babysat, you know, Ryan, uh, Ray and Purcell, you know, he babysat them, took care of them, you know, and um, has a history of, of just being friends with them. And I think one, you know, their band, Youth of Today, was kind of the shit. And the label, you know, Ray's label was kind of the shit. For us to kind of fast track to be first in line to be on the label, you know, everybody wanted to be on the label at the time. So I think just... It's, it's, I think it's, I think I'm okay with, with knowing that, you know, the people that were not um, able to experience what we did, you know, we got the whole, we got the whole, you know, experience, youth crew experience, you know, um, and it was nice, you know, 
um, it was a, it was a, a time and a place where, you know, we were there to be in it. We got into the, the youth crew cartoon just in time. And a lot of people wanted to be in it. And we were lucky because, you know, that scene only lasted a couple of years in my, you know, for my, from, you know, by 90, it was, it, things were kind of, um, you know, kind of phasing on to a different thing. But um, I think Ryan really, you know, knew, Ryan is a visionary himself. You know, he gave credit, Chris a lot of credit, but Ryan, you know, he's putting on shows, he's putting out records. Obviously he, you know, foundation records, you know, we, we've kind of abandoned um, Revelation, you know, that's a whole nother podcast maybe, but I want to credit Ryan, you know, for really, you know, um, a lot of the people that were kind of, kind of cranky about us getting uh, the fast track to be considered, um, you know, I think if we, if we had sucked, I think, you know, the, I just think people, the heart what's, wants what the heart wants and people, people like the band. So it worked out, you know, it's not like, it's not like we were this rickety band that like the label put out, put us out and like, you know, nobody cares. Oh, but, hell you, know, it, it, right. you know what I mean? It's just and that we were, we had like, you know, we had the ability to be sort of uh, considered and, and, you know, Ryan is a visionary, visionary too. He was friends with Youth of Today before Youth of Today was the shit. And, you know, he, he babysat those dudes took care of them and um you know and he's a good guy and that's why you know we were considered for the label had yeah. we sucked i don't know maybe they would have been like hey man maybe maybe your next band but you know yeah. this band they that you know him and chris they had good taste you know they knew they knew what was they knew what was uh, going to be worthwhile and they they cherry picked kurt they cherry picked frosty they cherry picked me and this was the result and i think you know Thank God they at least did one cool thing in their lives, right? Many. Yeah. And like <laughs> you, you touched on a great point, Alex, was what I was going to say is if, if the music didn't stand up, then okay, fine. You can be mad. But the fact that over three decades later, some, you know, got people want to hear about, you know, people yeah. still listen to Chain of Strength, love Chain of Strength. This is one of the episodes too, where we had so many people like, I can't wait till you get to chain of strength. Mm -hmm. So it, it's kind of like you guys have the last laugh because, you know, it, it, it worked out all right because yeah. the records hold up. And the sound is just so unique and it's just timeless. And I think that anyone that was hating, it was just sour grapes. But I think the reason why the question was asked, because it's almost surprising that anyone hated it because it's fucking awesome. But um, I wanted, I wanted to ask about the live shows but was it a conscious decision to just fucking obliterate every live show? Because every video I've seen is just napalm. That's right. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think Chris and I learned again, we were trying to be like tech in Justice League, we were trying to be like technically good. You know, we, we went on tour with seven seconds, you know, for, for months on end. And it was all about like the stages were getting bigger and it was about like being technically good and all that. And so then Chris, like, as soon as we started like, you know, kind of dreaming up chain of strength when we were talking about it, we're like, you know what? We're like, let's talk about like what we hate uh, about what we just did. You know, it was like the sets were way too long. It got boring. There was too much you know, worried about technical, like having the perfect sound 
we were just talking about everything that bores us. Um, and so we were like, hey, when we do this, we're gonna play, we're gonna play six songs and that's it. Just like leave Fuck people yes. wanting more. <laughs> yeah, like six songs, that's it. We're gonna like short set, we're gonna smash everything up. Who cares? Like we're gonna, you know, want it to be worth, you know, like we want people to say, like, you know, talking about it the next day, like, hey, you missed something, you know, you you weren't there, you know. And uh, so, yeah, I think it was, you know, it was a little bit, you know, I must say, like, I try to be spontaneous. Chris is like way too methodical about shit. But I, tr you know, I think it was really uh, spontaneous that, you know, we, you know, part of it was, it was kind of like, in a way, it was like, dude, Frosty would kill the gr ground. They give me the <laughs> ability to kind of, you know, play around a little more. And uh, Frosty and Chris really, you know, and then, you know, Al, they, they would hold, they would hold it together, you know, and, and uh, so, yeah, it was, it was a conscious decision to do that. What do you guys think, Frost? I, you? I, I feel it, I feel it was, it was absolutely like a crucial part of the band to, um, that, that aesthetic to, um, to go off. I mean, I know Chris and I, one thing we bonded on really, really early on is like looking at, at record sleeves of bands that we really looked up to and grew, grew up with and I mean, obviously those are the x-claim records i mean look right off the bat as D, get it away when you see alvaril like five mm -hmm. six feet in the air oh yes that has an impact on you i stared at that record cover for hours and hours and hours as a teenager just looking at it and just in like complete awe you know yeah. looking at the back of like the the dys record i mean that's what i think we we all aspired to be yeah. right there that's was, how i stared was, at those chain yeah. records so thank you <laughs> yeah i was gonna say awesome. your your record then became one of those for other people to study everything from the Nikes, the fucking bold shirts, which we talked, we've talked to bold about, um, you know, the thanks list, pouring over that thanks list and like, okay, who's this? Who, what band does he play in? Like, do I have to get that demo? Do I have to yeah. get that seven inch? So was, that had to have been a conscious thing too, to, for the visual aspect of it. And I'm looking at the seven inch now and it doesn't say who designed or laid out the seven inch on the layout. Um, can you tell us anything about that? And is the font, the Berthold City font that SSD used, side by side used, Gorilla Biscuits used? Because I was looking at some of the, you know, the serifs or whatever on it, and they do look similar, but it's a little bit cleaner. So just walk me through a little bit about the creation of the layout for this seven inch. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, that's, it's interesting. Well, yeah, Chris definitely, you know, again, he uh, is very methodical about this stuff. And, and just like Frosty mentioned, you know, they, you know, they were really, I'm kind of more, you know, more of a like wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Sort of like, I just like, let's do it now. You know, like I want it out. I want to move on, you know, to the next thing. And Frosty and Chris are way more methodical. Uh, we all agree that Chris is maybe too, like, like uh, Alex knows about statue, like it's just dealing with Chris is crazy because he spends hours and hours and hours. Like if I just move this picture over a millimeter, <laughs> does how does it, you know, so he's just, 
beyond uh, but, but yeah but in he, the end uh, that that's how those things how those details come about too because he is paying attention so closely to to those yeah. things and i think that brings an element to it too but but yeah there's all of all of it was for a reason there was there was an aesthetic that was there but yeah i think the design that i mean ryan and chris worked on was was absolutely like on point and what what we were going for as a band but yeah i think um back to your this you know uh about the the record it, there was actually a mess up um it was the ssd font that was supposed to be the logo and uh jordan at the time we laid it all out you know chris spent time and then we would hand it over to rev they were in connecticut at the time so i don't know <laughs> you know it got to jordan would have somebody that <laughs> back then laying out records was just such a big ordeal you know um so yeah they the guy messed up and used the wrong, which we called Captain, what do we call it? Captain Crunch. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Like yeah. uh, the font wasn't the initial font that we picked. Um, so, um, and so they kind of messed up. Yeah. If you look at it, they kind of messed up the logo a little bit. Um, and, uh, and so, uh, but yeah. Uh, and then, you know, but the layout was basically, you know, Chris. So, um, one of the one of the things too i saw i think in an interview with chris uh talked about the use of the green and black uh was inspired by this like the smiths meet his murder so you kind of did get your uh you know echo and the bunny men smiths uh that, that part of your creative side out in the layout and like i mean like i said it's it's one of the most iconic layouts and you always associate green with green and black is chain yeah that's awesome yeah i mean that was kind of the idea you know we would go to um max and rock and roll was really where the green came into play when we were in justice league we'd go to play in san francisco uh and we would always stay at the maximum rock and roll house and you know everyone knows it's like kind of an iconic thing that tim johannan would put green tape on all of his records so they would know they're his um, so it was, it was that, you know, it was that green, uh, that dark forest green. Uh, so we, we love that. And then it was just a mix of the Queen is Dead uh, Smith's record, which is, uses that same color. So yeah, uh, Chris was just kind of like, dude, you know, these are our, our, you know, colors. And, you know, he was thinking, I didn't think that much into it, but he was already sort of like really into branding, you know, at that time, you know, he was really... But, you know, we need to brand, and I'm, you know, I don't know anything about branding. You know, I just want to be in a punk band, you know? Um, but it's, it's so, like yeah. you guys picked up the torch from, you know, one of the other bands that we've talked about many times, even though they weren't a revelation that I always think is associated with branding is Uniform Choice and Wishing Well. Yeah. And it's almost like yeah. Chain, like, really picked right up where, where they left off as Wishing Well's dying and then kind of took the ball and ran with it because it all has that same kind of feel yeah i mean most definitely we grew up you know going to uniform choice shows they were our friends and we also i think even uniform choice you know we all learned it from others i mean i think we learned so much when you when you were talking about the thanks list i mean that goes back to like the seven seconds records you kind of just went through those records you looked at the thanks list you, you looked at who's on there and you know you want to see your name that was super exciting you know and uh, so, yeah, so uh, I think it went 
from the bands that influenced us, you know, and I think even, you know, like Uniform Choice, they really sort of got a lot of their branding elements from America's Hardcore. America's Hardcore, you know, Drew was like, he was like kind of a branding genius. And uh, so, you know, everybody sort of, you know, steals off each other. I think that's just, you know, a community type thing. Now, so, go, oh, ahead, go ahead. No, go. Oh, I was going to ask, since it's Rev 10, it's got the same, True Tell Death has the same number as the one thing that still holds true. Um, I just wanted to ask about the song Impact, about the unreleased song, um, about the recording of that. And then I guess just anything that you can tell us about adding that as the first track. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, we wanted to do something special, you know, um, you know, at the time, you know, again, you know, as being somebody in a band, you know, you, you're always trying to please, you know, everybody. Like, in our mind, we're just like, the people really still like us, the people like us, we don't know, you know, we're like, God, is anyone going to buy this thing? Like, we need to sort of like add more to it to like make it worth someone's while because they already have our seven inches. Why are they going to buy this 12 inch unless we add? So we're always just in, you know, just, uh, uh, I don't know, we're just always trying to overdo things because we, you know, we want people to love us, you know, so Anyways, that's where that kind of came in. It was kind of just like, um, hey, let's add something to it to make it worth someone's while to want to buy it, you know? And it was um, an intro at first, right? Was that a lot of something that you would play live as an intro? I with, you know. I, I yeah, <laughs> we, we did. We That was an intro that we played um, before Ooh. just how much. We'd, yeah. we'd open up with that intro. And so... So it build up to that to that point, and then boom, bust into that E chord. That's that was just how much. So yeah, it kind of started out as that, and then it developed, you know, like like into an actual song. And so yeah, it was added in, of course, on the on the twelve inch, and um, yeah, but but yeah, started out as an intro. But it was recorded, but it, in ninety, whenever the comp came out, I don't have it. Ninety five. Ninety five. Ninety five. It was recorded earlier, right? It was. Um, it was I mean, it on. Came out in '95, so it had to have been all finished by then. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, 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 it was all. It done was on an earlier then, yeah. session. <laughs> it was an earlier session, I believe. Yeah. So. So um, it's it's interesting that you, you know, had some doubts of whether or not that this would be well received. Um, yeah, yeah. So the the 12 inch comes out in '95, and then you guys you didn't <coughs> play. Right, you didn't get back together around that time, but I saw Circle Storm play in '97 at Showcase, mm -hmm. and oh, I'm sorry, yeah, oh, <laughs> Dude, and they covered. So they covered True Till Death, covered, and oh, wow. the place went fucking bananas. I mean, like Circle Storm, people are watching them. A couple of people are singing along. You know, it's that record was not super well known, but it's it's yeah. out there. But then as soon as they play Train of Strength everything fucking it, it goes like jason said it was napalm and so then you guys didn't play until what 2012 was that the first time coming back for like the rev uh rev 25 shows and then you played a show here in garden grove which i'll touch on uh again in a little bit but why the like did you guys really just not think about getting back together and playing in that whole time or what you didn't so think before you answer, there was always a rumor on the East Coast here that 
chain of strength practiced. Like we would always hear like, yeah, chain of strength still practices. This was in like 97. Like they still practice and hang out all the time. They just don't play shows. That was literally a rumor out here. Well, we're, you know, first things first, you know, we're, 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 we're all kind of quirky people, you know, like we all have our, you know, sort of issues, uh, you know, we're friends first, but as a band, we, everyone wants something different out of it. You know, um, it's tough, you know, and we're adults now we're grown ass men. You know? So mm -hmm. we just all want different things out of it. And we all have different personalities and different values. You know, things have changed from when you're a kid to an adult. So, you know, it's, it's hard, you know, we love each other. We, we get along, we're great friends. Sometimes we don't want to talk about, you know, band stuff, or we don't want to talk about this opportunity that we blew or this money we could have gotten, you know, it was just kind of that stuff. And so, yeah, I mean, pretty much um, Chris was really kind of, you know that's what we you know we, we wanted to do is have fun with this that's why we started it and and so it's a vehicle to have a good time hang out with friends travel mm -hmm. you know but um but anyway so yeah so chris just wasn't feeling it he just like hey it's not going to be great i don't want to do it and so yeah we talked we would we would practice and we would try to figure it out and talk about it and then um and then you know maybe kurt would say something that would piss alex off and then alex would be like i don't want to do it you know and and you know whatever it would just be you know we just all have kind of big personalities in the band and um and we just it didn't it just didn't feel right and i even think you know i even think the shows that we did play might have been a little rushed or something you know what i mean like you know, I think now we even learn from that, like, damn, we could have, you know, you know, we could have changed things around. We could have done it differently. Um, but yeah, we're, I, I would say, you know, we're, we're pretty insecure <laughs> in a lot of ways. We're insecure. As I mentioned, you know, we felt like, hey, maybe people won't buy the 12 inch. They already have the seven inch. Right. A song to, I think, you know, we are insecure and we don't maybe, you know, know. And then until we put it out and then we went down to Revelation and there was just like a wall for 12, I mean, boxes and boxes of 12 inches. And we're like, whoa, you ordered quite a bit, Jordan. Like, what's up? And then you go back a week later and they're all gone. And we're like, whoa, shit, people are buying it. You know, this is crazy. Like, yeah, so, I mean, um, that was my introduction to Chain of Strength was the the I guess we call it a discography um you know because can't I got it probably in 96 I was 15 I didn't have the the seven inches were like Javier I know always refers to like they were like um the records you'd see on the wall maybe that cost you know at that point god knows what the seven inch was maybe like 40 or 50 bucks um but that was a lot of money in 1996 whereas you could get the cd for you know ten dollars now I know you touched on it on the 185 miles south, which everybody should definitely check out that episode with, with Ryan. Um, it's a great listen. Um, but this was, so this, this record was the first seven inch and the second seven inch plus the extra song, but remixed and the track listing was just slightly altered. Was that, did you know going in like, Hey, we're going to remix this. Um, and then was it, you ryan that did the remix or I think frosty and myself um you know again 
we probably didn't make some of the best decisions. <laughs> um, it was a time where Alex was busy. Alex was living in New York. He was in a band with Walter, I believe, at that time. You were in World's Fastest Car, I think, right then, right, Al? Or you guys were doing something, um, you and Walter? No, well, I, I mean, if you're talking like, uh, like 96, 97, yeah, I was in New York to do, you know, that band. Yeah, I think but, um, I was in New York. Um, Chris was on tour with Wool in Europe. And then, um, and again, I'm, you know, I'm an antsy person. I like to get shit done, and um, which sometimes isn't the best idea. <laughs> and uh, that's why it's nice to have different personalities that we all sort of like, um, you know, work together. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I call up Frosty. I'm like, hey, dude, meet me at the studio in like an hour <laughs> or something. <laughs> and uh, and Frosty, shit, Frosty goes over there. I'm like, dude, here it is. And, you're, you know, you're like, oh, it sounds great. You know, I don't know. You're, <laughs> Frosty's personality is pretty mellow where, where I think if Al was there or Chris was there, they would have picked it apart. <laughs> you know, they would have said, what are you doing like we need to spend like months and years on this shit and i'm just like no <laughs> i want it i want it out now you know and so that was sort of you know everyone it goes down in history that that mix sucks you know so so and, the thing is though i will give it this well first off that was my introduction i'm sure there's a ton of other people where that's how we got into it. So we maybe view it a little differently than those who were buying <laughs> yeah. seven inches in real time. But like, you got to keep in mind in that era, like you guys weren't alone in doing that. Like so many of those bands remix the stuff. And now, you know, in hindsight can all say like, oh, you know, the, this, the remix sucked and the original mixes are better, which is almost always true. But I think you know, at the time you did the, you did the best with what you had. Like you said, you had time constraints um, and things like that. And I know you mentioned too, that you would like to get the original mixes out there at some point. Would that be done like as this discography or would you be doing them as like two individual seven inches? Cause especially that second seven inch, which we haven't even really had a chance to chat about yet, but um, you know, that's hard to come by. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we've we've um, we've I don't know. There's been a million different scenarios, um, but yeah, we were we're talking about uh, re-releasing the original mixes for sure, and um, and there's uh, a million pictures that we'd like to add. Al has uh, <laughs> pictures that are sort of <laughs> in his safe that no one's ever seen, and I'd even like to see them, <laughs> but. Um, yeah, so I think we have a lot to really still uh, launch, you know, and um, yeah, I think we're full of surprises. I think we have we have stuff that we want to still um, put out there. And I think it is, you know, I think everyone wants the original mixes for sure. And then we, uh, so yeah, so we're, uh, we have some things we're working on. Uh, we just take forever we, to do anything. Because, you know, people, people will flip over that. Like, you thought about, like, seeing all the 12 inches stacked up at Revelation. I can guarantee you these, these seven inches come out, original mixes with, like, extra photos and stuff. I mean, people are going to be flipping. I know all three of us in, oh, you know, for sure. are you know, doing this. Well, yeah. I can speak, yeah, I can speak <laughs> for, for, like, 
for everybody else too that people would go absolutely ape shit. Yeah. And you know, I think sometimes like Ryan, you touched on, I think when you're in the band, you almost can't see the, I hate to use the word, but impact um, of (laughs) (laughs) things. Cause even when we talked to Gorilla Biscuits and Arthur said like, it wasn't until he was playing in Civ when he realized just how many people were like nuts about Gorilla Biscuits. Like he kind of thought like, yeah, been there, done that. We put out the album, people were into it. And like, so now it's kind of wild probably to see all these years later that people are still flipping out about it and still want things like a reissue of an original mix of a record that came out, you know, 30 plus years ago. Mm-hmm. Like that's gotta be kind of nuts. Yeah, I mean, it's great. Cause I mean, I don't hear people knocking on my doors about like our, you know, my previous bands, like Justice League, you know, like, I don't hear, you know what I mean? Like, we've all been in bands, like, and some of them stick and some don't, you know. Um, but yeah, we're, you know, we're amazed and, and we're super appreciative that, you know, anyone cares, you know, it's, it's awesome. You know, that's your, everyone's goal is like to create something that's, you know, that's gonna, you know, be timeless. You know, I think yeah. that's everyone's goal. You've done it. Yeah, oh, and sure, so, absolutely. Thank you. The so, second, yeah. the second seven inch. I know you already talked about this, so I won't have you like rehash because again, people can listen to your interview with Zach on 185 miles south. But you decided to put it out yourselves. Uh, so Foundation was like your your label, right? Yes. Yeah, that was my label, um, and I did it with uh, uh, Frosty's brother Steve and uh this this guy dan and yeah and we had there was people prior to that like tim from tim uh boiling point um and tim uh and then and dennis uh, dennis yeah that's right dennis uh yeah. tim's a brother was in it. yeah there was many different variations and and that's it you know that was kind of a shit show um to be honest with you because again ah uh, i don't think like sometimes artists you know, people in bands should run labels, you know, like you kind of, you know, and that's what I learned, you know, growing up, you know, like now I really, I was just trying to do so much. Like, I just love, you know, I, I just love hardcore. I love the underground. I was just, I, you know, I'm full in. Uh, and uh, I, I was just so all in. I wanted to do shows. I want to put out records. I want to be in the bands. I want to, yeah, I just want to do it. I love it, you know? And, um, and now, I've learned I'm good at some things and not good at other things, you know, <laughs> and uh, one thing um, I wasn't good at was, you know, kind of running, you know, back then you had to run your mail order, you had to do this, you had to find the bands, uh, you know, uh, and so, yeah, I wasn't great at it. So I remember like getting cold feet right before that record came out, right before that record came out, I joined Judge. Um, <clears throat> Priscilla called me up. Um, and their guitar player, oh man, I can't think of his name at the moment, but um, he- uh, Lars? I don't know. Lar- it was Lars, Lars yeah. Yeah. La- yeah, Lars was, you know, um, I don't know what happened, but Priscilla, I didn't pay attention to that. I just remember Priscilla saying, hey, do you want to be in Judge? And I was like, hell yeah, because years prior, I was asked to be in Uniform Choice. And I said no, because I, at that time in 86, I think it was like, 
you couldn't be, I didn't know you could be in more than one band. Like, I was like, that's betraying my friends. Like, I'm in Justice League. These are my, you know, homies. These are my friends. And if I, in this other band, that's betraying your friends and you're walking. And so this next time, and I love the chain guys and we were doing great. But like when Purcell called and said, you want to be in judge? I was like, I can't say no this time. I got to, you know, I got to do it. And so I would, you know, told these guys, you know, like I, I went for it. So anyways, yeah. So it, uh, I, I'm trying to wrap around what, 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 what was our, what was the meaning of this? I, I forgot my train of thought here. Uh, it's what, what talking, about talking about releasing, releasing the one. Yeah, so, oh, I was in New York. That's right. I'm sorry. I was in New York at the time before the record was released. And I remember I was at Don Fury um, and um, I was there with Purcell just hanging out at Don Fury's. And um, I remember um, it was when Sammy and Walter had started a new band um, right after Gorilla Biscuits. Um, and they were recording there at Don Fury's and Jordan was there as well. And I Moondog maybe? Yeah, Moondog. Moondog okay. was recording at Down Furious. And I remember getting cold feet and I said, uh, I said, man, you know what? Maybe you should just put this out on Rev, you know, the seven inch Chain of Strengths putting out. We should just, you know, let me, I get cold feet. Let's just do it on Rev. And then I remember it, like Purcell saying, no, man, like you're, <laughs> you think you know what you're doing. You got to do it yourself. Now. You're stuck. <laughs> We're not putting it out on Rev, you know? just kind of busting my balls and I was like, Oh shit. Now I'm, I'm, I'm in. And yeah, it was kind of a shit show. So I uh, learned that that was probably not the best, uh, you know, vehicle for the band at that time. And there's so many versions of like, if you go on Discogs, yeah. there's like, as I mentioned, 10, yeah, there's like <laughs> 10 versions. Cause you had to like, I guess, license it to Europe. Uh, was it first strike, I guess a European label and a couple other things and then there was that the rejected version that has the chain crew yeah bit of boats in mcmahon yeah 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 that was um that was uh the first you know we 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 um pressed the record at something and i i'd love to talk about the record i mean that i love that record that's my Same. Those, uh, song Same. Like, I love that favorite. Record. like i love that and i want to say like bringing Al Payne into our band and getting hit like dude his writing skills were so killer and at that time we were just collaborating and dude we were it was just gelling like we were just at our height like that recording that record we were dominating like that was the best that was a pinnacle chain to me I, I was gonna uh, say like, dare I say it's it's the perfect progression because it took it to the next level but it wasn't like a you know victim in pain to cause for alarm type thing where everyone's like what yeah. like it was it was just the 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 perfect addition of a, a little more i don't even know what the right word is but just I like i want to say melody and style to yeah. it. see influenced hardcore i think but yeah, putting think your own I spin on it yeah, I love it. I just love that stylized sort of hardcore where it's like emo. I mean, and that's what, uh, you know, Chris, that's what we were into in Justice League. It was, you know, we really had that sort of emo type um, sound. We loved it before it was even called emo, you know, and, 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 but we love, you know, love, you know, Boston hardcore and we grew up mm -hmm. with, you know, the FUs and, you know, and all those you know, Gang Green and all those bands. And I don't know, it was just a 
great mix. And Alex is amazing when, dude, you like you say, hey, this is kind of the sound we're going after. Alex can write that song. Like he is just like a robot, a computer, whatever <laughs> you want to talk it. I don't know what algorithm he's got going on in his brain, but that mm -hmm. dude has style on the guitar. And he, man, he, he showed, you know, Frosty and I, we're kind of caveman style, you know? And, uh, and Alex gave us some style on that record. And then I started, you know, kind of saying, shit, I, you know, I'm influenced by, you know, Brian Baker's style and like, I'm really into Dag Nasty. And I, you know, I kind of stepped up my game and Al really pushed us to another level. He do really you remember did. what what songs alex that you brought for that record or like help create help kick off or you know um <clears throat> by the time we were doing that it, it's it's kind of a blur but i just remember what was really cool about that time is um you know i learned how to play bass in the band but by this time we had we had done some short tours and when we're when you're sitting around in you know at a Tim Singer's house, uh, you know, uh, you know the whole day, um, you know the Boiling Point guy, you know, what do you do? You you I get Ryan's Les Paul and just kind of dick around, you know. And what was cool is um, you know, I think I think as I developed as a, a player, um, what was nice is um, these guys were encouraging and it kind of gave me some confidence where like if Frosty came over and I was playing guitar with Chris jamming like you know what then became statue and you know and we're gonna do like a chain practice or if Ryan if I was at Ryan's house and like I was playing his guitar if I was playing something a little bit outside the box of hardcore it wasn't like oh like you're you know you're you're, you're doing something wrong it's like no like that's dope. You should kind of, you know, you should kind of keep going and, and kind of keep, keep, keep developing. And I think um, what's interesting is, um, you know, all these guys were, were very, um, very encouraging to me. And, um, you know, it, it could, the story could have been different where as I was developing, they could have been like kind of intimidated by it and sort of like, you know, made me feel small, but actually they kind of made me feel like I was doing great. So they benefited because as I started to have confidence, I started writing a lot of music, a lot of music. And um, they would, basically Ryan would just cherry pick, like, I mean, some stuff was like, okay, I wrote the whole song, but Ryan just was really good at taking like whatever he liked and, and kind of just Tetrising or, or, or rebuilding it, restructuring, you know, he would engineer my ideas and just you know next thing you know it would he would re-frankenstein whatever i i was bringing and um it was really cool because you know i i actually preferred the songs that he would kind of well i i like the songs that I, that i wrote too but 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 um i really liked when ryan would kind of and chris they were really good at taking whatever i had as a template and really making it more you know making it more interesting um and and you know I i'll say that um as far as that record i just remember we were kind of left to our own devices by this at this point you know we were rehearsing at uh you know frosty's uh family his dad had like a like a like a kind of an industrial place where we, we were um we were uh practicing 
And I don't think Kurt was, was around as much as we were. So we were really like exploring ourselves in, in our, you know, playing our, you know, getting a little bit more uh, beyond like, you know, straightforward hardcore, like really aggressive hardcore. I think we were starting to like be okay with, um, like Ryan did cool stuff, you know, where he would kind of actually bring in a little bit of like, you know, kind of like uh, like a U2 type of thing or something, you know, where he would be doing a little bit, something a little bit alternative rock guitar. And um, I mean, I think the, the, the frame was still really hardcore and really pissed, but I think we were just kind of sprinkling in a little bit of that, you know, uh, mel mel melody. And, um, and I just think, um, you know, they, you, obviously Ryan's giving me like a lot of credit for, for bringing in a lot of flavor, but he definitely was, was pretty good at like taking like whatever, whatever little mounds of, of, of ideas I had, you know, to really make it, you know, a song because it's easy to have a lot of great ideas and not really, you know, it doesn't always end up a good song, but, um, you know, uh, I think Ryan was really good at, 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 Kind of constructing um making sense of of my ideas and uh you know especially with the lyrics uh we all you know at this point i was contributing lyrics to it, it would just be a phrase you know what holds us apart the space between um and i think you know it's it's cool to see um it's actually kind of nicer when somebody else kind of almost finishes your sentence for you because it's almost like all right cool you bring all this you bring all this like you know um you bring like most of the ingredients of a recipe and then like, okay, this is what it's going to be. And then you're like, all right, cool. You, you kind of accept it more. You can kind of overthink your own ideas too much, you know? So that was cool. And yeah, I do agree that album or that seven inch is really, um, it's really, um, it's, it's kind of quirky, you know, it's definitely, it's definitely like different. Agreed. I mean, I, it, it, uh, and like I talked about the progression is just, it's perfect. Like we always say, like Chain of Strength to me, perfect hardcore band. I mean, no as far songs. as two, two seven inches, with the second one being better than the first, and the first is amazing, and then even an unreleased song that's fucking great. Like mm -hmm. that's, I mean, a lot of bands can't even pull, you know, can't pull that off and right. have it be like where you know people are still caring about it all these years later. I wanted to ask about the recording of both seven inches. The first seven inch says that it was recorded at spot and that's all the information there is. Um, is <laughs> what can you tell us about that studio? And I've asked this on another um, episode, I believe, was that like the spot in the South Bay that recorded all of the no. SST? No. The spot was a uh, uh, like um, a studio in I believe uh, like Garden Grove. It was in, in like Santa Ana, actually. Santa like, Ana. Yeah, like Orange County. Orange County. Yeah, it wasn't. No, the, the we recorded the seven the, the next seven inch um, in, in in South Bay, which is a uh, uh, Pendragon. Pen, Pendragon. Yeah, isn't that where Inside cool. Out did too? Right. The, and the, statue and Inside Out. Yeah. So real quick about Pendragon, I've been on a hunt because my wife works in the South Bay and I've been on a hunt to like find that studio now. Um, <laughs> talk to Igby and a couple other and my daughter about like making an Instagram about showing all of these old punk landmarks in 
Southern California, you know, like Hong Kong Cafe and the fucking Starlight Ballroom and all these things. So um, I've been trying to track down and Pendragon doesn't exist in that form, I don't believe anymore. Um, and that was, I talked to Mike Hartsfield about it as well, because there's been a lot of bands that recorded at that, at that place. So anyway, sorry to interrupt, Spot and uh, Pendragon. Yeah, I think at the time um, regarding Spot, uh, I'll just touch on it for a minute. Yeah, Spot was, um, we kind of just went there because uh, I think No Financer recorded there right before, and Chris was familiar with it, I believe, because of No Financer, if I'm not mistaken, or something along that line. It was kind of like, this, this is the place to record. Maybe Hard Stance recorded there as well. I'm not sure. Hard Stance could like, there. Okay, yeah. So we were just kind of like, okay, just go there. And... You know, again, it was a demo. We didn't, we did it super fast. We didn't have any money. God, I kind of even remember like, they're like, hey, do you want to buy, you know, if you want to give us $50 for the masters um, or, you know, you can just record over them for $25. It was just like, and we were like, oh yeah, we'll pay $25. You know, it was just like, so, you know, just like the naive things you do as a kid, you don't know right. what you're doing. And so we didn't have, I, I want to say, we spent, I think, $200 on that record, and we did it super duper fast. On Truth yeah, Till Death. Just, Incredible. Yeah. And, and I, know from ex I know from experience, too, of recording, you know, the first time I ever recorded in a, in a nice studio was in, like, 96, and it was just a recording studio. Wasn't a hardcore kid doing the recording. It was just someone who had a recording studio, and I know from a lot of experience sometimes they don't come out sounding the way that you had envisioned or whatever. So for you <laughs> guys sure. to have come out with an amazing record for fucking $200 that was recorded, you know, that's just <laughs> mind boggling. That's right. incredible. And, and the fact that like, I think and that was, Oh, go on. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, and that was during a time where recording was very expensive um it was really expensive so to like spend two hundred dollars on a recording like you had to be in and out quick you know and the mixing and everything so we just like you know again we didn't you know i don't know i wish because it's it's funny uh, because i just remember kind of being a, there during like the uniform choice recording and they spent months and months and months and months and uh and i was like the next time i record it's going to be like that where you methodically like record and then you listen to it and you go back and you listen to it and um no of course <laughs> you know we were just like who wants a pitch in for this no one okay i'm gonna front the box you know and it was like yeah i was just being and but um oh i was gonna lead into pendragon and why we went there <laughs> was the only real reason was, and no one really knew of it, um, it was because Agnasty recorded there um, and they recorded there. And I remember at, right at the time I had bought a, uh, a Marshall cabinet off of Brian Baker. Um, it was one he used in Dagnasty. Whoa. And so, 
Yeah, so I was just like, oh, yeah, by the way, where'd you guys record, you know? Um, and then he said Pendragon, and that's when we uh, we were like, hey, let's go there. And then everyone followed us, like, after that. It was, like, Inside Out. And many, I think many people went to Pendragon. Yeah. And it was Field Day that was recorded there, right? The diagnostic yes, record? Yes, it was. It, that yeah. seems to be how a lot of stuff happens, is, like, it just takes one one band to do it, and then somebody says, where was this done? And the next thing you know, you know, people are, are trying to – you know, everyone's trying to get in the door. So did the second seven inch took obviously longer to record then than, than this, than True Till Death? <laughs> not really. Not no. really. Like I said, yeah, it was kind of like, we kind of were like, hey, let's do this on our own. And, uh, you know, we were kind of fortunate that, you know, we just come from that old school philosophy where you just, you practice your ass off. You, um, <laughs> you know the songs, you pretty much do it live. Um, and Kurt, fortunately, like, I mean, he, you know, like I can, you know, there's many things like <laughs> I'm upset with Kurt about, but when it comes down to vocals, <laughs> like that dude, um, he nails shit on the first take. Like, he's just like that. And, and most singers take wow. that. Wow. Yeah. yeah Kurt his, his voice is incredible. It I mean, is it's, incredible. And, and one of the things I was going to mention is on the first seven inch, it's kind of cool to me, the recording, how the vocals, even though he's such a strong vocalist, they're mixed a little bit lower. I love like, that. I, I saw once, it might have been uh, Anthony, okay. Anthony from In My Eyes said it's almost mixed like a shoegaze, like where the, you know, where the vocals aren't, like everything's kind of there, but it has this great sound that I, I really think anybody that is only familiar with the one thing that still holds true should definitely try to seek out to hear the, these original mixes. Um, yeah, it's funny. I, I hated that mix so much. Like, it was so funny. Like, I, I was like, I can't hear the vocals. I hate this. And then that's when everyone kind of, you know, talked me out of it. They were just like, it's, it's cool because they were saying like, this is like another instrument. It's just like, it's not overbearing. It's yeah. just like, hey, it's like at the same volume as uh, a guitar or the drum, like it's all kind of equal. And uh, yeah, I hated it. <laughs> and, and I so can much. see why, but it, in, in hindsight, it's like it, it kind of fosters that whole collaborative spirit where there's not yeah. one track jumping, you know, someone, no one's overplaying the other. It's just all the pieces melded in tight to make this beast of a fucking record. Yeah, no weak links. That's awesome. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you liked it better than Love I it. do, but, but, you know, uh, yeah, um, Frost, what do you, what do you think? Were you happy with that mix? Um, yeah, I mean, looking back at it, I mean, I, I definitely, when we, when we, when we did that, it was exactly what you said. I mean, everything was just, we were trying to mix the vocals in, um, as, as an instrument and keep everything equal. Um, that I just remember from that recording, like exactly what you said, just being in there real, real fast and tracking everything super fast. I think we went in there like really early in the morning. I remember being there at like seven in the morning or something, like loading in gear and just like, all right, you're up. And it's just like, okay, we're just, I don't know. We just laid like all the drum tracks were probably done in like one take. Um, Al probably just laid it down. And then it was like, we just started doing some, um, you know, few, few overdubs and then Kurt, Kurt laid the vocals down and that was about it. Um, personally, I mean, yeah, I think it's, 
you know, I wish I, I personally wish I had a better guitar sound <laughs> from that, from that recording, but that's what came out and that's what, that's what, that's what it was at the time. So, and I also remember being, listening to recordings from spot like there was like listening to like the final conflict record ashes mm -hmm. to ashes that was recorded there like their guitar sound was just killer like it sounded so huge and beefy and just like i'm like man i'm hoping we're gonna get that and then i don't know didn't really quite come out that way but i think um i think the tracks definitely I don't know there's a reason why that why it all sounded like that so and it and it added to just the the uniqueness <laughs> of, of that recording did you feel the magic in the studio when you guys were in there were you like this is fucking <laughs> magic or was it just yeah. like whoa it was no it's again it's we've always been on these sort of financial restraints where it's just you have to be in and out as fast as possible and it's super stressful and it sucks we've never been able to enjoy the recording process whatsoever man that sucks crazy to think yeah know, because again like people are still talking about it that long and you guys just saying well we went in built it out it's just it's funny but sometimes that's how like the best stuff is where it's like yeah you know not not too much thought went into it it's just like well not the thought but not too much time like crunch for time you think Speaking about like all those old discord yeah. yeah all those all those old discord records i'm sure same thing like they went in you know in a day and just tracked everything and it was done yeah and it's just to so, kind of chime so, in uh, to chime in really quick um you know uh these these guys these engineers that that were running these both of these studios they were not really too um educated on the the, the scene we're from hardcore punk they were kind of more like guys that appreciated like toto or like the police they were like classic rock guys so for us to come here in there playing you know this fast music i'm not saying that like oh you know i just think bands like maybe final conflict might have gotten lucky that they just that guy just whatever that day just kind of gave them the Metallica button on the guitar sound <laughs> because, you know, we were in there, um, I think just paying pretty much 10 bucks. So I think, you know, you get what you kind of pay for sometimes. And um, I think, you know, I remember, I, re I remember recording the, uh, you know, doing some uh, retakes on, on, you know, doing uh, the Pendragon uh, session and that, that engineer, was kind of a dick to me and was kind of making me feel like I suck at, at playing bass. And I'm like, like this fucking guy, I, I didn't, you know, think of it at the time. I just was kind of like, Oh shit. Like he didn't really get it. But, um, it kind of bothered me, you know, to think that, um, he was, he wasn't really, um, he wasn't, I don't think just, um, you know, he, he was like an Aerosmith guy. He wasn't really, What's crazy is just that yeah, I just remember like he he wasn't really um, very understanding about like I was playing bass purposely aggressive and a little sloppy and it's not like I'm recording the Red Hot Chili Peppers fucking bass line you know yeah. and he was, and he was kind of he was kind of a fucking dick and you were like a kid too that's what's even more nuts like you think you yeah like but you know I just I just remember like you know back then you're gonna get these like classic rock goobers that um run you know working at these studios 
and they don't fucking know what hardcore is. They don't know what the Cro-Mags are. They don't know like what we're going for. So the fact that we got, you know, what we got, thank God, you know, it wasn't total dog shit because there's a, there's a lot of records that sound like shit really bad. I mean, the youth of today, we're not in this alone is a fucking train wreck. Yeah. Like we talked and we talked about with bold, you know, they're, um, speak out, the speak um, out. They, I they think were they had super swim. bummed. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And I hope that, bad, engineer, you know, yeah. that was like, that was a, a, that was actually an album, their de- debut album. And, you know, they're a cool band, obviously. Um, you know, yeah, I think that they, it's too bad that their, their recording um, wasn't as, you know, they didn't get the essence of, you know, sonically. Um, yeah. It was a little flat. And, um, so, yeah, I think, you know, all of us bands back then, we were, we didn't have a lot of money to um, invest. And I think, you know, I mean, I was 15 years old when we recorded that. So, like, I don't have, you know, we, we all didn't have, I mean, those guys all were came from rich families. So, I don't know why we only spent $200. Like, Ryan's I don't, parents are rich. Chris's parents are rich. Oh, We're you guys not rich, but, but, but no, in retrospect, it, let me just say something, but in retrospect, it is kind of ridiculous in a way where we spent so much time and energy methodically planning this out and writing these songs and then go spend 200 bucks to record it. It just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't <laughs> add up. You know, it's like, what? Why didn't we think of like, hey, this recording part's really important because that's what actually people hear we didn't think of that we were just thought it was all about live it was all about we were going to create this band so we can play it live and everyone's we're gonna yeah. you know and so you were you were kids like and and in the end especially with hardcore it's all about the live show the record is just a soundtrack to get people in the door for the show like i remember um you know, I know before we started recording, I was talking about my love of the replacements. And I know something Paul Westerberg had said was like, he didn't want people to be like, did you hear the replacements? It was like, did you see the replacements? Yeah. Like, it was like about like, yeah. did you go, did you see Chain of Strength? Did you see how fucking crazy they were going? And, you know, still played tight as hell and all yeah. this. Like, that's really what it's about at the end of the day. The record's or just so people know what songs to sing and how to go off. But the records with Chain, the records are fucking amazing also. Did you see right. the live show? It was amazing. Did you hear those records? The yeah. timeless. <laughs> did uh, any of you guys it. Did any of you guys actually see us back in the day? God, I wish. No. No. I was When did you end? 1990? 91? Yeah. 91. I was Ninety-one, yeah. <laughs> you're ten, and well, I'm out on the show. You're ten, dude. And I'm on, I'm in Philly, so I'm not out out there. But I, I guess that that's, leads into what I was going to ask: is do you like why did you guys end? Were you ever thinking of going? Like, so after what holds us apart? You know, we talk a lot on this podcast about like the what ifs, and Frosty. a big a big what if for me is like what if you guys did like a full length after what holds us apart yeah, yeah. it up a little I, bit that would be like so you know mind-blowing i was talking to a bratton about that recently we're like man what if yeah what if um i think you know unfortunately um alex and 
Chris were really ambitious at that time. They were they wanted to play music. They wanted to get going. They wanted to tour. And I think Kurt really was holding everybody back. Like Kurt, like was kind of over it in a way. Um, and and uh, Kurt was more like, I want to be a business guy. You know, he he was just kind of like wanted to start his career. And uh, and so yeah, so we were just in you know di just different times of our lives and uh and so yeah that's that's you know chris chris and alex got sick of waiting around is basically I, that's my take on it i don't know al if you want to chime in well, well first i would like to hear you know frosty's a pretty good neutral guy <laughs> and um you know it, it, it would be easy to say that chris and i were like ambitious and we're we're, we're you know pursuing music but um and it's easy to say, oh, you know, um, Ryan, uh, Kurt, and Frosty are, are are starting to like go to college and kind of focus on that. Um, I would say that um, we tried to develop more music for Change, but I think Kurt was tuned out, and I think it was pretty obvious to me and Chris. Kurt was tuned out, and it was, you know, it was pretty you know what, what you can't really do much with a band without the singer and um you know as great as he was and 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 you know as amazing as, as he was as a singer you know kurt, kurt was special to kind of be aloof and just come in and bang shit out in the first take and you know he was that guy he sounded great live he sounded great on record you know his voice is, is perfect um honestly probably you know i played in a lot of bands and he's probably one of the most um very you know when it comes to that band like he was perfect for that band i think it would have been tough to like add more music being that chris and i started to really develop what we did you know in statue and I, mm -hmm. and once we kind of took that turn developing you know things that were a little bit more musical i think i think we would have been almost faking it to kind of go back to kind of figure out a way to do stuff for chain because I think we started to just kind of go further past, you know, um, straight hardcore. Um, unfortunately, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to kind of blame us, but I think, I think it was a combination of, of, uh, you know, um, people are, are going to going away kind of in their, their direction. Um, I think hardcore was just changing too. Um, you had, you know, post-hardcore kind of coming around. I was also doing Inside Out, and that was really getting, you know, um, you know, that was kind of really like almost turning a new page, I think, in hardcore. And I, I just, I think for me, being in that band, it felt like that was the future where like Chain felt a little bit like last year, you know? Like, you know, like when you go to the store and they kind of have like the clearance rack, it felt like this is the fall shit and that's like chain was like summer shit and um for me being kind of in those you know those scenarios where you had a guy like zach who's like pretty good singer and then you had a guy who just was kind of tuned out it's kind of hard to like be excited about the guy who's tuned out you know yeah um, no it makes sense you know i mean i sang in statue only kind of because um i mean you guys don't know this and most people don't know but like um Statue was my band in high school. We played, you know, we played high school parties in the town that I'm from. And like, so aside from, you know, putting out stuff on Revelation, you know, um, that was like my high school band that like my high school friends would come watch at the Kager. And um, 
you know, like I said, I lived in like a Hickville type of like, uh, you know, town. And I sang in that band kind of just for fun. I, I wasn't really pursuing, you know, obviously we didn't pursue the band after that much. Um, but um, I don't want to blame Statue for Chain of Strength um, falling apart. Chain of Strength fell apart. And maybe it was a good thing because I think we would have embarrassed ourselves had we tried to fake another record. I think we could have done a cool EP, maybe like Salad Days, like Minor Threat kind of thing. Uh-huh. But a whole album... Like I had written a whole album, but like it kind of got hijacked for Circle Storm, and they it just kind of came out really bad. Is so, that what's called the No Destiny LP? Someone said I should um, ask about the No Destiny LP. It's like some what was in the works for the Chain LP. Someone heard that that was the name of it. No. Okay. No. I think I think I think Ryan, while I was in New York, kind of helped himself to the material that I was primarily writing you know was going to sort of be like the chain of strength album and i think they kind of just took that material for chain of strength okay i mean sorry for circle storm and but that was meant yeah. for chain of strength but because yeah. kurt was tuned out we never got to it and it was just kind of like a junkyard and um that junkyard kind of became what was you know circle storm for pretty much and um i mean it's fine i guess he figured i was becoming a rock star in, in new york or whatever and um and you know, I didn't become a rock star, but um, <laughs> that world's but yeah. fastest car stuff's great. By the way, I have to throw that in there. That float around. That stuff is fantastic. Um, yeah, it was pretty good. It was. It was definitely. Good. It was definitely like the blueprint for rival schools. You know. Yeah. But um. But yeah, you know, I think I think um. As far as the band just sort of ending, um, you know, I think everybody was 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 sort of just okay with it ending I, I i could be wrong but it felt like it was just you know we had kind of a really quick great run um i think the show started to feel a little bit like like a reenactment of itself where it's like okay everybody we were just you know we play a show everybody sings the lyrics i'm not saying that 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 it gets boring after a while but i think that like it just kind of just didn't really you can, it kind of became like an autopilot feeling for me personally where I guess, you know, exploring Inside Out, exploring Statue felt like there's like a, you know, like we're going into like a new territory that's unknown. It's kind of exciting, you know, where like I felt like with Chain, even though it was really good, we weren't going to be like a sick of it all trying to be like a Warped Tour band or nothing like that. You know, just right. we didn't have the right, we, we weren't, we weren't those people to really make it our lives like that. And um I'm okay with like us sort of just stopping when we did, you know. I mean, I think I, I would like to kind of hear Frosty talk about it because I think, you know, he he was, I don't know. I think he was just kind of I don't out of all of us, probably more confused because you know I think I think for whatever reason you know it it, it just was like okay like everybody's doing their thing, but you know, nobody's really trying too hard to keep this band together. Everybody's like really okay with just saying like, okay, yeah, abandoning this this thing that we have. Um, we, we probably could have stuck, stuck around a little bit longer, but I think, you know, being an Inside Out made it hard to like want to be in other bands, you know, if that makes any sense. Yeah, definitely. What so yeah, Frosty, what are your, what are your thoughts on <laughs> Well, I mean, I was definitely bummed out when we broke out, when we broke up. Um, I mean, it was, it was, 
was pretty disappointed. Um, but looking back on it too, I think it probably was like a good move to to kind of disband the band. The best bands, in my opinion, in in the hardcore scene, really um, re- were were released minimal material, and I think that worked for us. But we had put in a lot of effort into writing uh, basically a new release, and um, it's kind of unfortunate that that really didn't see the light of the day and i mean we were on track to basically blueprint what minor threat did two seven inches and a 12 inch ep which was ultimately what i wanted to do the other big thing that i think with chain of strength is that um you know we never got to to tour europe and that was always like a, a big goal for the band so um you know we did we were always really great at doing the east coast trips and everything but um but Europe was like kind of a, some, a territory that we always wanted to do. And I think that was a goal for the band. So um, a little, it was disappointing not, not to, uh, to, to get to do that. So was that song, so when you did the reunion shows, there was a song called Tell the End that you played live. Was that one of the songs that was written for that 12 inch? That possible 12 inch? No. Okay. That was, that was a song that we kind of had <laughs> Early on, it was an old song. It was, you know, an, a song that we we were playing that song. I remember even the first, our first time, you know, I mean, we played the Anthrax. Um, the first few times we played, you know, on the East Coast, I remember playing that song. You know, there's, there's YouTube videos of that song. Okay. And for some reason, that song, um, we just didn't really, we didn't really, it was kind of a slap together song. Like one of those songs where like Ryan would just be, like, oh, you know, it'd be cool is to have like a fucking, you know, like an SSD, you know, really, you know, bah, really caveman style song. And, and then, you know, it had like the bad brains kind of breakdown, you know. Um, and I, I just remember, um, for some reason, it, it just, it just, that, that song kind of went away. And then to fast forward, when we finally were going to do reunion shows, I think we just kind of needed to, to be on stage longer. So we were scrambling for okay, well, let's do a Dag Nasty song. We all kind of are fans of Can I Say, so we did, you know, we just, we were kind of, uh, it was more of a contractual, you know, now we're like in show business, where before we we weren't aspiring to like get bigger and, and have fans. We were just into this music. You know, I don't think Frosty, I don't think Ryan, I don't think Kurt, I can't speak about Chris, but I'm just saying like, we weren't, I don't think the band was built for trying to get fans and trying to like make it. I think by the time we were playing in modern times, it's like ticket sales, you know, we have to play for 40 minutes. Um, we only have 10 songs or 12 songs. And I think we were just scrambling for, you know, things we could play that were kind of relevant. And I think till the end was just a really old song that was kind of a, kind of a filler quick, like, yeah. I don't know. Just kind of one of those like not a lot of thought um ryan probably wrote it in like two minutes kind of song you know um really kind of like generic lyrics um and you know it was we never really put that invested that much into that but we just kind of played it and we i think as we tried to introduce it we realized fuck it we're not going to play it anymore we don't really care um i think we didn't really you know we had no issue once we started playing the whole like oh you got to play for 40 minutes 
contractually, um, it seemed like it, you know, that kind of went out the window. So I don't think we had to stick to that mm -hmm. show business kind of thing. But um, I hope I don't sound like I, I'm disrespecting that little tune as much as it sounds like I'm, I'm talking, you know. We, no, you no, know, it's not coming off that way at all. Yeah, we just never recorded that song. I mean, I don't even, I just remember Ryan yeah. kind of, oh, you know, just like a really quick idea that we just. Yeah, it just never really, it really just didn't hold up with the other songs. And it wasn't a, it was just, you know, it, was a, it wasn't strong enough to make the cut. Exactly. That's all. Mm -hmm. So I guess to, to sort of start wrapping up, Will, and I know, Ryan, you were already asked this, but I figured I'll ask, will there be, you know, once the world opens up and there's shows, do you think there'd be a chance you guys would play some more shows? Like, I know you didn't, uh, like, you've never got to play in Philly, for instance. Like, I didn't get to see you. I know you played New York and, like, D.C., but, like, would there be a chance maybe for, like, I don't know, Red <laughs> 35 or something to have uh, another yeah. chain, chain show or two? I don't think we, we you know, we never say, um, but, you know, right, you know, definitely there's not shows right now anyways, but, you know, we're just not kind of uh, really, um, I don't know. We're just, we'll, we'll just see what, how, what happens in time, you know, again, like our, I think our focus is on, you know, doing this, this record, the reissue um, and focus on that. And then, you know, we'll kind of play it by ear, but yeah, definitely. Um, there are no shows right now, and as a band, we're not really feeling feeling like a band right now either. I think it just right. has to feel it has to feel right, you know. And like I said, we're all we're all friends in the band, you know. We're friends first, um, and um, and we just kind of do it as you know we feel. And of course, we want to feel the love from you know the people. If the people you know kind of want want it, just has to feel right for both ends you know, both sides. So that makes um, sense. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I totally get it. Why fake it? Like, I know it's been mentioned a couple yeah. times here, like, you, you know, it's not sincere, it's, um, you know, because it's, it won't, it won't, people can, I guess, smell it a mile away. Like if it's not, if it's not done right, if you're not into it, you know, it's not fun for you guys. It's just kind of pointless or whatever. Um, so with the reissue, do you know, would that be something that would be on Revelation or would you be doing it through Quiet Panic or that's not even, like hasn't even gotten that far in the planning stage? No, definitely. We've been talking to Revelation about it for years. So yeah, it's, um, no, it's going to be on Revelation where, you know, that's um, where, you know, we, we made that mistake, that jump once, but yeah, we're, um, we're, uh, we're loyal to Rev, you know, um, and um, uh, it's just uh, it just takes us forever to do anything. Like I said, we're very methodical. We want it to be cool. Um, and um, so yeah, we're just kind of taking our sweet time with it. That's cool. It'll be worth the wait. All right, guys. Yeah. So um, one of the things that we do on this podcast is we talk about hot tracks, and we have always discussed like our favorite songs on the records so we like to ask our guests what their hot tracks were for these records and it could be something that you know a song that you wrote a song that means a lot to you a song that you like playing live um and i know sometimes it's like you get put on the spot for something like this so i'm gonna ask jason first 
what his hot track is. Since and Hav, are we gonna? We'll go off of the twelve inch. We'll, we'll yeah. So so let's talk about the seven inch first, okay. and then if you have something to add on the twelve inch, then just you know go ahead and throw that in there because we're sure. we're talking about the whole thing. But Jason, true till death seven inch. What's your hot track? Just how much? Song rules. There's no bad chain songs. That song fucking rules. And live. My band covered it. We covered that song and playing that song is just so fucking fun. So having written it, I'm sure that's next level beyond that. But, uh, you know, that's an awesome song. It's got the break. It's got the lyrics. It's killer. And I do have to say, hearing impact, to me, that's the equivalent of right now if Nirvana said, we're going to put out an unreleased song. Like, that song rules. So it's got the baseline, it's got the lyrics, and it's got this like, you know, hindsight, this theme of like hindsight looking back on, on what I thought was, you know, Kurt looking back on the band. That's how I took it, but just fucking awesome. So. Yeah, that song is a little bit moodier than the yeah. rest. And to, when I first heard it, I thought it was a really interesting way to start out the 12-inch because it was like a new song and it was like it didn't really sound like the rest of them and I didn't really I, to get I didn't get it to be honest I was like yeah. this isn't as fast this isn't as raw whatever but oh, and I got it right away that was the first song I heard <laughs> to put it in context well to me like having heard the seven inches and right listening to them recorded on I always the forget you're and all older this. than I am. yes thank you very much so it um it, for me, it was a little bit like maybe out of context and I just didn't understand it. But now with the whole picture, you know, and talking about where that song came from, I get it. So yeah. Frosty, what's your hot track for um, either wow, the seven inch or the 12 inch? <laughs> um, I'm going to go with the seven inch and that's a tough one, but I'm going to go with Letdown. Um, only because... <laughs> Because I thought it was cool how um, it just came out of like immediately just came out of never understand and um, just got a cool breakdown to it and um, I just it's always a fun song to play and um, I don't know that that's definitely my pick. Al, what about you? Uh, the seven inch or the twelve inch? Whatever, hit us with one. Both. Yeah, hit us with both if you can. Wow. Um... God, that's a tough one. Okay, so uh, just how much? What's the second song? Sorry, I'm kind of um, true till death. True till no, no, no. Um, you know what? For some reason, I'm I'm a little bit partial with what's the song um, where Kurt's talking about being fragile. Um, oh, yeah. I I kind of what is that called? Um, what's that? There's, there's a, difference. a difference. There's there's yeah. a difference. <laughs> what I like about there's a difference is that it's well, I don't know. I, there's a lot of stuff I like. Um, for me, I'm torn between There's a Difference and Best of Times because they both have something I really like. Where What I like about Kurt that separated him a lot is that he had that like, man, those were special times. It had, yes. like that, it had that like, um, like um, it had that kind of dag nasty like, um, you know, we were, we were brothers fucking, you know, never yeah. go back to anything. And I think for me, like um, those two songs, never, uh, there's a difference. And uh, back uh, was it um, some best of times. 
Um, those two songs kind of remind me uh, of why I like Kurt, and I think Kurt um, is special to have that. A lot of you know, a lot of a lot of a lot of hardcore singers are aggressive, but not only was he fucking punchy and like had that like almost like DRI vocal that was like really fucking like choppy and cool, but he also had some very like like kind of like you know, like, man, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. You know, I really like that a lot. And it, it kind of almost like suicidal tendencies, like, you know, all I wanted was a Pepsi. Like, there's like kind of something there that's very, like, different and unique and, and has a lot of personality instead of just like a dude screaming his head off, like, the whole time. Agreed. Um, that's a lot of style. So those two songs I'm torn. And as far as the 12-inch, the, the him coming in on um, Impact, I you know, we we he never recorded those vocals until like you know later later in the late 90s and um the first time i heard him sing on that song was you know when that was on a cd as a 12 inch and um those that first verse him just fucking punching you in the face that's some bruce lee shit right there you know uh, yeah oh yes and and, and like that's why that guy you know <laughs> Like say what you will, it turns out that guy's one of the best to have done. In my opinion, I played in a lot of bands with a lot of good singers. That guy has fucking power. It's just undeniable. You know, yeah. he doesn't warm up. He's just like whatever, ba ba da ba da. You know, kind of do 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 do. Picks up the mic, and it's fucking napalm. Like you said, it is. Yeah. And that song, I think that song impact. I can't say one, but I just say for me, it's a lot about more when Kurt's just being special. And I think those three songs, unfortunately, I don't have one, but, but that's those fine. Three songs, uh, yeah. So that's pretty much it. That's all, you know, I think those Kurt really shines um, on those three songs for me. Awesome. And what about you, Ryan? Yeah, I would <clears throat> probably from the first record, um, just how much uh, I, I love that song, especially live, like, Playing that song live, you know, it's it's it was really made. It was created for like a live show. Like, it's just it's really easy to play and like and go off and and so, yeah, I love the chord progressions and it's just super. I, I like the breakdown. It's just super good. And then um, the lyrics are super cool. Chris wrote th that song and uh, I totally remember him. Uh, and I don't know why I didn't why I didn't go, but um, I remember Chris was staying over at my house, and Blast was playing like up the street. And this was, you know, Blast initially was sort of you know a hardcore straight edge band when they entered the scene uh, initially. Um, and then uh, they played a party up the street from my house. Um, there was this guy that was really tight with SST, uh, and then Chris went there. And uh, they were just, uh, it, it just wasn't what he, you know, it just wasn't what he thought. His expectations were totally different and it, they were just like, and, you know? Um, and so uh, Chris wrote that song. And uh, so I just remember him coming home from that show and writing those songs on the, uh, on paper. And then just that night I took, you know, put the music, put the, the lyric to the song and it was just, it was, it just came so fast. So, I just love, I love that song. And then um, for the uh, other record or the 12 inch, or whatever, I would say um, Too Deep Until Now. I really love 
Mm -hmm. um, how that song has so many different kind of parts and it has like that melodic uh, guitar sort of Brian Baker ripoff type of melodic-ness uh, to it. It has some, um, it has some like Youth of Today sort of, um, I don't know, it just has like, it wraps up a lot of my influences, you know, like I just, cause I, I'm just such a big fan of Youth of Today and Dag Nasty. And uh, so that, those were, you know, that's who I was listening to uh, when we kind of wrote that song. So I love listening to you talk about, you know, chord progressions or the influence and stuff like that. It's really cool to, to hear like a, a deeper understanding. And that, this is one of the reasons why I fucking love this podcast, man, is because it's not just like, you know, we're not just talking about how many records were pressed or something like that. It's like, we're talking to the people who wrote this music about why they wrote the music, what they were thinking, what they were feeling. Um, you know, Alex, I really love what you said about the, the speaking part in Best of Times, because that's always hit me too. Like, you know, you go through friendships and you're like, fuck man. Like, you remember when we used to have these talks and we used to go through this stuff together and um super I, I, heartfelt like you can yeah you can hear the sincerity in it like mm -hmm. there's no bullshit no like, bullshit and and yeah as as a teenager too when i first heard this music it resonated with me so much because I, it was it was uh really relatable Greg. I, I agree okay i agree um no but i appreciate that you appreciated that um mm -hmm. you know it's it's i think it's easy to um uh, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts related to, you know, the old days or whatever. Um, I've tried, it's, I don't know. I could, I find that a lot of times people revisit the past with like a kind of a grandiose romance of like, Oh, you know, it was so amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I think people have to be careful about sort of the way they kind of explore the past and go down memory lane. I, I, I wanted to, you know, do this today because I, I appreciate that you guys like the band. Um, you guys are focused on, you know, those records that, because um, we were fans of the band, of the bands that we were, became a part of, you know, we were, we were fans of Youth of Today, Gorilla Biscuits, Bold, Judge, you know, those guys all became our friends, um, or were our friends, or, or you know, we're, I guess our contemporaries at the time. You know, we weren't trying to be like big shots and, and, and make money or, or be in show business. You know, we, it was like one week, uh, Ryan's probably working at Toxic Shock, Frosty's probably buying, you know, Can't Close My Eyes, you know, uh, you know, Gorilla Biscuits, 7-Inch, and all this shit was just the shit at the time. It was, that's what was happening in real time. It wasn't like the germs, you missed it, Minor Threat, you missed it, you know, we, I missed, I was too young to see, um, you know, uh, all that stuff, so... I'm lucky that I at least got to be a part of the youth crew revelation scene because, you know, I, you know, it was like, you know, I'd seen a lot of the Orange County bands, like Uniform Choice. I saw Seven Seconds, you know, I saw all those bands, but um, it was obviously the New York bands and Revelation that really were, were doing it in a way where it just, it was fully potent and it was happening in real time. So to kind of just, jump onto it and be involved with it, I think was, was uh, you know, was fun for us because I think we appreciated those bands and those people and what they were doing. 
And, um, you know, in hindsight, when we talk about our own band, it's, you know, I just want to make sure that I'm careful with not trying to make it seem like, oh, yeah, everything was, was you know, like everything. Not everything is always, like, super perfect. We were winging it. We didn't know what we were doing. We were just, we're just idiots from the Inland Empire. You know, we're, we're, we're like, what's funny is I know a lot of people um, always kind of try to make us, um, they kind of try to drag us into, you know, the, the, the past where we had issues with other bands or beefs that we kind of had. and and you know, this, this, in this day and age, you know, you can kind of put out a book and talk shit. You can do a podcast and talk shit. You can like kind of create this false history, um, you know, and, and, and looking back in hindsight, you know, at, in the, at the end of the day, you know, we, we just did our best to kind of celebrate what we liked about hardcore. And, you know, we are fans of all those bands and, and, you know, we're lucky that we got to uh, contribute and we were lucky that we got to um, kind of express our, you know, appreciation in our way. And that's what Chain of Strength is, is our appreciation for all that music, you know, um, you know, these guys are a little older and they, they, I learned a lot from Ryan and, and, you know, Frosty and Chris, you know, they were all mentors. They all knew what was cool. They all, you know, I was, I was like the young kid who kind of was like, oh, okay. Like, Faith is, is this other band, you know, or, or uh, Negative Approach is this other band, you know. Um, I was a little bit limited, you know. I kind of, you know, I kind of had the basics when I, and then I met these guys. And um, now I know, thanks to Chris, I know what Articles of Faith, you know, is. And, um, you know, I think just having that appreciation is just, it's just perspective. Um, so I think doing this, a podcast like this, like we probably won't do any more podcasts, like, you know, knowing us. To get us three to do this one is like, <laughs> like, you know, it, it took, a, I think, I think this is probably the, the first and last. Um, and, you know, it's just because our personalities were so, we're, everybody's such a weirdo and, um, and everybody means well. And I think, you know, I think that's, you know, having, I'm glad we did this because thank God we did this now because it's just like, you know, in modern times to get like, a band to agree to do something, especially our band, you know, we don't agree on anything anymore. So. <laughs> well, Jordan, we, we <laughs> talked with, with Jordan Cooper and, you know, he was basically telling us that, um, you know, and it sounds, I don't want to sound like we're putting ourselves up, but he's like, you know, what you're doing is important because like you said, this is a podcast and now it's going to be out there for an indefinite amount of time. Right. So it's almost like now you can be like, well, we already talked about that. Like, you know, when I know we referenced that with well, Ryan already said all this on this one podcast, but, you know, so it's good to have these different band members on to share their perspectives um, because everybody's perspective is different and everybody looks back differently and, and handles the past differently. So it's nice. And we're always super appreciative that we get to talk to the people that were there and that did it because people care, man, you know, they want to hear this stuff. Like I try to think of like, as a fan, what would I want? And, you know, I touched on this with Porcel when he was on, I said, look, us talking to you and Drew is like, if you guys back then were doing an interview with Al Baril and, you know, Dave Smalley and Ian Mackay or something, 
Like it's, it's, it's big to people. So we really appreciate that you guys, you know, took the time out of your day to speak with us um, and tell your story because it's freaking awesome. And I'm glad yeah. to, that we got to, you know, do it. Yes. <clears throat> That's awesome. Thank you thank, for your time. Thank you. And for all the good songs. Yeah. All right. I didn't get my hot track. Yeah, we still got two hot oh, tracks. Shit. Oh, shit. I'm sorry. Yeah, we're not quite done. Greg, what's your hot track? <laughs> uh, so from the 7-inch, I'm going to go with Never Understand. Um, much like with Jason's pick, like my band, uh, One Up, that I sang for, we used to cover <laughs> that a lot um, because I want to bid at bow, as we say, uh, my buddy Donnie Mutt, who was the guitar player, and he was like he was like the Chris Bratton of the band. Like he had, he was the one that was meticulous about everything, from like the way stuff was laid out to the way the song sounded on record. And uh, he loved Chain. Like when we started the band, he's like, I want to start a band that sounds like Chain of Strength with floor punch mosh parts. And um, I was like, okay, cool. So we did Never Understand. That bass break is classic, and it was super fun to play. But if I had to pick just in general on the 12-inch, I'm going to echo Ryan's and say Too Deep Until Now is my favorite Chain of Strength song because it checks every box for me for hardcore. So there we go. So it's awesome. a good transition from your hot track on the 7-inch to my hot track on the 7-inch, which is Let Down. <laughs> um, and man, there's just to me, there's so much good shit about Let Down and especially the um the backups i think that this seven inch has some of the best like group vocals of any hardcore record it kind of i don't want to say it laid the blueprint because you know there was other records before it but this to me like it doesn't sound like it's in a cave you know it's not like some big huge shouting like some other bands did but it's a like group of guys all it sounds like a group of guys you know just here's the mic like say some fucking words and um but my all-time favorite chain song is hurts to ask and um and it's you know ryan quiet panic it's in there right um <laughs> so it must mean something like uh to you as well but you know, growing up on these songs and um, like trying to find my favorite on all of these, it's it's like asking which is your favorite kid and I didn't even write these fucking songs. I cannot tell you how many fucking times I listened to these songs over the years. Oh, yes. Um, I actually have, so before the 12-inch the came out, you know, I recorded both 7-inches onto a, a cassette, a Maxell cassette, and I still have that cassette so oh, this has got to be from what 93 you know something like that and it's amazing that that technology has survived and that's still my preferred way to listen to any of this stuff is by listening to the two seven inches on on cassette that's cool so, yeah, so that's thanks awesome. so much guys yeah Seriously. you guys this has been fucking awesome i really um, appreciate your time and and getting to hear these stories and and everybody everybody's individual perspective of it you know and i can't wait to talk to alex about statue in the future because yeah. the statue yeah. hopefully we a, can right because yeah, i would like to that record that 12 inch filter the infection man, man that i is a i don't want to talk record. too much now i want to save it 
but yeah. that's another one that's massive for me. And it's well, one of the I'll, only records I got in the '90s that I still have now. I had to restart my whole collection, but yeah, same. Twelve man. inch, I still have it. Well, get ready for the reissue. It's coming soon. Oh, okay. <laughs> sick. Well, well, let me just say, um, you know, um, I, I guess you guys, you know, will eventually try to do that. Um, if I was gonna sort of predict, um, you know, that. You know, obviously, there was a, simultaneously there was that band and a few other bands along with Chain. Like you know, there was Statue, Inside Out, um, and um, you know, you know, uh, Statue, Chain, and Inside Out. We're, I was kind of doing all those bands at the same time, and um, the development of Statue is really interesting. And I think Ryan um, played a lot more than he probably realizes of kind of being like a kind of like a financial backer and also just kind of a cheerleader and also kind of like a puff daddy kind of almost just like a <laughs> you know really I kind of encouraging. and it's kind of it's kind of i mean it's 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 interesting because i i think if ryan hadn't been as supportive i you know i, I probably would have just played those high school parties so, um, you know, Purcell signed the band and I'll just say that, that Purcell signed the band and, um, you know, Ryan, Ryan was a big part of that. Um, so yeah, I think that that would be an Al, interesting. Al, you'll have to, you'll have to make a cameo, Ryan. It. Yeah. You'll have to save it for episode 14 yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah I just, <laughs> no, that's but it. That, that's all I got. Yeah. I was going to say, let's, <laughs> let's yeah. save it. But seriously, that record is fantastic. So no, I just, um, I just, I just wanted to get give Ryan a little bit of like props for, hey, for hey. right I'll now because you know Ryan's not invited to the statue. Conversation. <laughs> <laughs> we'll give you the Google Voice. You can call and leave a voicemail. That's uh, right. Uh, you know what? Yeah. How about a how about a, a Ryan cameo? Yeah, yeah we have I, people pop right. in all the time. Like like uh, Ray Capo popped in on an episode uninvited. So uh, I actually awesome. I asked yeah. I asked Porcel if he wanted to pop into this today and he said he was busy. Oh. But you know, we the, the, <laughs> the Zoom chats out there. I would actually love to talk to Porcel about signing statue then. So maybe we'll have to get him yeah. to, to yeah, pop in this episode for, for that. Yeah. Yeah. All right, everybody. Yeah, thanks so right. much. Thank you again for everything. Nice meeting you guys. All right. So that was, so I got to say, you know, it's my job to edit these episodes and sometimes there's a lot of fucking edits between just cutting out space and, you know, the space between and some filler words. And I don't think I have to fucking edit anything on. I was just going to say, you're not going to need to And you know, there's a couple, it's hard because everybody's so excited to talk and we like, we'd want to jump in and ask questions. So it's sometimes we're talking over each other, but this, I'm, I don't think that what you hear up to this point, I don't think that there's any editing other than putting in the little like songs and the audio and stuff. Mm -hmm. And these guys were cool as fuck, man. I mean, it was just like, I, I always say, but as a fan, when you're talking to these people, you always run the risk of somebody, 
maybe not being cool. I don't even know what's yeah. a, like a good term. And these dudes were just super awesome to talk to. And I loved getting the different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved hearing, you know, I've always been, as I said in the interview, I've always been fascinated with Alex just because he was so young and super talented um, of a musician. So that was even cool just to get, get his story and, yeah. you know, Frosty and Ryan um, and, you know, but all of them kind of passing the ball to the other and giving each other credit was really cool. Like yeah, Alex is crediting them for being mentors and they're crediting Alex for being this like musical genius, you and know, Alex at, at, is crediting Kurt for his vocals. Right. It was awesome. Yeah. And, and yeah, Chris being the visionary, I would have loved mm-hmm. to talk to Chris. Um, so it was just super cool. Yes. Yeah, speaking um, about Chris, I've read and heard before, maybe it was Ryan Ta- I can't, how many times are we going to reference this 185 miles south <laughs> episode with Ryan Hoffman? But I believe Ryan talked in there about Chris being responsible for a lot of the merch, the layout. Um, you know, if you, it, in this record aficionado book, which we reference almost every episode, there's chain of strength stationary that, you know, they could write letters on and all of their merch, we didn't even get a chance to talk about yeah. that stuff with them because we were talking about the actual records and the songs and not so much the image, but I think that it's important to at least mention and talk about ourselves, how important those, you know, seeing those early, I remember the first time I saw a Has the Edge Gone Dull original shirt. Yeah. And just being so amazed, like, what the fuck is this shirt? And if, I know. You, if you read in the um, Life Love Shirts book, there's a lot of talk about how they screen stuff themselves. There's the Rev logos on some, the X's are not on some, and then they did that black shirt that are numbered. Like, Chain was very dialed in with their merchandise. There's fucking watches. There's all kinds of, like, crazy stuff. And not what to speak of the maddening amount of variants of vinyl and you know they're just with this record there's black vinyl there's only two seven inches but there's green vinyl clear vinyl but then there's the silver sleeve on clear and then how many are still in the rev vaults like to me i i think that i would rather own a a silver sleeve clear vinyl than a chung king Mm. me personally because i think that record means more to me i'm not saying talking in terms of value you know because you could sell a chung king and buy a fucking car right your kids or whatever you know a a, a year no, of tuition uh, at a, you know but, what musically i'm gonna have to agree and i love judge but yes yeah, i'm glad i'm glad that they didn't release chung king as the record yeah does that, that record sense? is does not sound good it's so in other it words does not sound good in other words yeah like the chains whereas the chain seven inch there's nothing i would change the chung king although i would want to own chung king more for just to be like yeah, I have king. yeah but uh musically i mean the the chain seven inch is perfection whereas judge didn't hit perfection for me until they did bringing it down so yeah I, I, I'll, I'll go with you on that um, I guess, you know, and like I said, we don't want to talk too much about the merch. I think maybe if we do a bit of bonus with Tim, yeah, like we're assuming that he'll do it, which I'm sure he will. Cause Tim rules. Right. Yeah, but, um, rule. I think we can maybe talk more about the merch there instead of having it yeah. here. Um, but let's touch briefly, um, 
on the, uh, I guess the impact, there's impact. that word again, of the band like on us, I guess, before we close out. So yeah, so I said, I figured we could talk about the uh, impact of the record. Um, so I want to defer to Jason just because I made all those jokes, but I know that Chain is super big to Jason. Oh, it's huge, man. Yeah, I put them up there with Joy Division and The Cure as one of the bands that are formative to me, falling in love with music. So like I told them, these songs to me are timeless and just, I can't put into words how much I love these songs. But anyway, um, I heard What Holds Us Apart first. I heard that on a tape that I talked about before. That tape had uh, Youth of Today, self-titled, and it had the Bold 7-inch, um, which we'll be talking about next week. Um, and then True Till Death was just a rumor because that was not an easy release to find. You couldn't just go into a store and say, I want to get the True Till Death 7-inch. It was just like, we all loved What Holds Us Apart. And then True Till Death was just this like Bigfoot of a... Uh, record that no one had copies of and so interesting yeah my friend tony lisi bit at the p circles he follows us and has tagged us in some cool videos and photos of the rev stuff he still has he recorded this for me um on a tape and the dub tape of the chain songs was still you know not the best quality but i just love those songs as much as i love what holds us apart so that's awesome and like I know how much Jason loves Chain to the point where I'm going to voice it. I'm going to say it publicly. Kick it. I'm worried that Jason's going to quit now after this. Cause it's <laughs> like, there's, there's nowhere else I can go. You guys, he's like George Costanza leaving on a high note. He's like, we talked to chain. I'm done. <laughs> Yo, this was a big one. I was definitely looking forward to this one, but we, Hey, we also have the youth of today self-titled seven inch. But so, but so yeah. he's going to quit in a few weeks. No, no, not um, at all, man. I'm, I'm happy to be along for the ride. This shit's awesome. So how about you, Hoff? I also heard um, What Holds Us Apart first, uh, probably on tape form, same as you, like, and a really bad yeah. quality. But for some reason, and maybe because it's pressed so many times, that record was also harder or easier to get for me. So I picked okay. up a, a physical copy of the What Holds Us Apart, probably the first first strike version um i think that's the and at the time was one of the most rare records that i i don't remember how or when i got it but that record was one of the most rare records that i owned for a long time which color uh, i had blue vinyl there's so many okay because that's the one that i'm uh a bit of mike Mike bullshit i'm waiting on that in the mail um and then now's a good time to drop a story that i have about how i came to own the uh, True Till Death 7-inch. Um, mm-hmm. In 96, I entered into a record trade with a gentleman named Steve Aoki. And Steve Aoki. Bit of Steve Aoki. So we, I went to his house, and we're talking about trading some records. And he had True Till Death on green. And Ooh. I was like... Yo, I had seen it before in Mike Cheese's collection, or either Mike Cheese or Mike Rhodes, who I lived with for a little bit. That's a whole other story. But I had seen a lot of these records. And so I was like, when I had a chance to come up on my own, I was like, yes, this is what I want. And so we worked out a big trade. You know, a lot of times when you trade records, especially back then, it wasn't just one record. It was like, I have this, this, and this, and you have this, this, and this, and let's trade. So one of the conditions 
was that I was to give him in this trade a Gorilla Biscuits Live at the Safari Club 7-inch. Oh, nice. Well, I didn't own that record. I, I thought that I could procure it from someone and be like, okay, I'm going to get this from you. I'll trade this from this other guy, and then I'll give it to Steve Aoki, and we'll complete the trade. I didn't follow through with that, and I burned him in the record trade. And that was- You burned Steve Aoki? I did. I burned Steve Aoki in a record trade. And that, and that, that got him away from hardcore and made him want to become <laughs> the uh, prolific electronic oh. music star that he is today. So after that, you know, he moved away to college, and he started writing for Heart Attack. And I hadn't spoken to him in this whole time, but then he gave my band a really bad review in Heart Attack. And I couldn't help but think it's because I burned him in a record trade. Which band? The Mistake. Uh, I was in a hardcore punk band called The Mistake, and he left a um, review that had nothing to do with the music and just kind of went off on a tangent about like Orange County mob and beats and monster crew and all this weird shit that didn't have anything to do with my band. So... Mm. And then the last time I spoke to him, you know, a couple years go by and I called him. I was like, hey, man, I'm about to have a kid. And he's like, oh, no way. That's cool. Well, I got to go do this other thing now. So I'll talk to you later. And then that was 2002. Never spoke to him again. You know, he just went off and became what he is now. Last year, I just was thinking about this and it was like kind of burdening me. And we all know that I've had this kind of like quest to be a nicer person and you know i got his mailing address from a mutual friend i think from dan senna maybe who played um in some some cool bands and was a part of dim mock and i just so happened to have a gb live at safari club in my collection and i sent it to him with a note that was like hey man uh and you know in 96 i burned you with this trade and uh, so now I'm sending you this record to fulfill my end of the nice. deal. And I, I didn't hear back from him. I didn't really expect to. I didn't really, you know, I wasn't trying to get anything out of this act, but it was just like, you know, it's late. It's 20 years later, whatever, but I'm taking care of my end of the deal. So anyway, that's how I came upon. And I don't know what happened to my green vinyl copy of Truth or Death. I'm sure I fucking sold it or yeah. traded it away to someone else, but. Anyway, and I that little boy grew up to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had, I had the first Chain of Strength shirt. They screened shirts for their first show at Yesteryears, and I had that T-shirt. It was hand-screened by the band, and I naively sold that for $100 back in Wow. So if anyone has that shirt out there and they want to get rid of it, hit your boy up. Sell it back to him for 300 Yeah, Yeah, I'd probably do it also. He's going to use all that sweet, sweet uh, – patreon cat yeah, yeah. I, I gotta tell <laughs> you though kidding. i i still do enjoy the second seven inch more yeah um, i think it's a little bit faster um i think i just i just you know have always enjoyed those songs a little bit more um but I, you cannot because they're both great yeah and you cannot deny great. how anthemic this first record is and to hear that it was just a demo that some fucking teenagers made is mind-blowing man yeah. that's wild yeah so for me i'm i guess you know, i'm a couple years younger than you guys i like to 
Yeah, why do you, you gotta that. keep throwing that in there? I like Jeez. to remind you of that like every day. So my exposure was through the disc we'll call it the discography, the one thing that still holds true. And um um and so I have a funny story with that where I was, you know, I talked on the previous episode about um the bold, you know, getting bold speak out and mouthpiece what was said and um that kind of kick-starting me on the whole like i'm in for this you know youth crew revival or whatever yeah. like so you know when i got into punk it was through you know discord and sst and all the stuff i still love now um and then the rev stuff came a little later so i had put up a flyer at a guitar place where i was taking lessons um, and it was this like hodgepodge of influences. It was like Lifetime, Green Day, Texas is the Reason, um, you know, Gorilla Biscuits, whatever, all this stuff. So I went to, I was 15 and I, I went to see the movie Beavis and Butthead Experience when it came out. I, I don't know why I remember this, but I do. And I come home and I get a phone call. And this kid, he's talking to me and he's like, yeah, I loved all the, you know, hearing all the influences and all this stuff. And um, he's like, but there's one pro And I was like, dude, let's jam. I was like, I play guitar. And he was like, oh, I play bass or drums. And I'm like, oh, cool. And he was like, it was me and a friend that were doing this. And he goes, there's one problem. I was like, what? He's like, I'm 12. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And I was, I was a big fan of sewing to lookout records and the lookouts I know had like, you know, it was like Lawrence Livermore and these two 12 year old kids. And I was like, oh, whatever, he's 12. That's fine. I didn't even really know, put two and two together about like Sammy, you know, even though I was into that stuff. So, you know, we're, we practiced a bunch of times and me and my friend didn't drive yet because we weren't 16. But when you're 15 going on 16 and someone's 12, it's still a big difference. Yeah. So we'd go to his house and like his mom would come down and give us tasty cakes and soda. And he lived in this big, nice house. And then I got the chain of strength record. And that was like the start of me being like, I was like, you know what? I want to be in a fucking straight edge band, like full on, you know, straight up hardcore. These guys kind of want to play more of like, emo -y, pop punk whatever so i that album i'll call it an album the 12 inch um that was super super big to me i got it and i was just like it that was like what started me on that path to going to bold because of the sh bold shirts and the layout and to going to you know mouthpiece and then floor punch and all that um and so we gracefully, like the guitar player that was my friend, he came along for the ride, but we, we gracefully, you know, kicked this kid out of the band. I know you're thinking, where the fuck is this story going? But I, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping that it's worth it. So fast forward a couple years and, you know, I had done a band after that. We started this straight edge band called Rally Cap and we were 16 and we were friggin' terrible. And we actually also got a, actually we got an okay review in Heart Attack um but then some other zine said like it was terrible and it was it was terrible so a few years later i'm a freshman in college and my friends are like someone's like yo you gotta check out this band they're from like our area the suburbs they want to be saves the day so bad like they took pictures on the couch and they were like kind of clowning on them and i look and i'm like 
yo, that's Kenny. I was like, that's the kid I played with when he was 12. Well, the band was called The Starting Line at this point. And The Starting Line were on drive through Records and then signed to Geffen. And then I think when Geffen, you know, they got dropped from Geffen and they had a record on, um, uh, God, what is it? Uh, Virgin or something. And Kenny ended up becoming this incredible songwriter. He's super talented, which I even knew then. Um, and he pl- plays in this band, this, you know, plays in the starting line. He does it for his career. They still play sometimes. They'll play like big shows here. Uh, they played like Warp Tour anniversary. Yeah, uh, my was wife super- was a my wife was a huge fan of the starting line. Actually, I mean, real talk, they're a great band. They're great at what they do. The records are great. Um, you know, I saw footage of him playing Warp Tour and having just the entire crowd of thousands of people sing the song while he's not even mic'd, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so it's just funny to me that I'm not saying I could have been in the starting line because the, there was too much of a time frame. And, you know, when you're a kid, a few years is a big deal. So who knows if we would have kept jamming. But I do like to blame Chain of Strength for the fact that eh, maybe I maybe I could have, you know, maybe. But hearing that Chain record, I was like, no, I got to do like yeah. hardcore. And, and obviously, like Kenny, he was into some of that stuff. But, you know, that's that was like the path he took. And I have to say, like, he remembered playing with me. And anytime I see him around town, we, we would chat. And, um, you know, I'm super happy for the success. And now he does stuff under the name Vacationer. It's really cool. It's like different from starting line. He's just a really nice, talented guy. But um, yeah, he doesn't what, like chain of strength. I, I don't know. Maybe he He's does. Ho- hopefully he'll. <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> hopefully he listens and I'll be like, dude, I love chain. I would have done. No, maybe he does now. But um, yeah, it was kind of nuts, and it just shows when you're a kid, man, you're so hyper focused on, yeah. you know, doing what you want to do. And, but at the same time, sort of like Alex talked about in the interview, like, you don't want to be fake. Like, if that's what I wanted to do. Yo, I loved it when he said that. Yeah, then that, that's what I wanted to do. So that's yeah. my story. Uh, bit of Bo Kenny and starting line. And uh, you know, I don't the, know, man. The only thing that I didn't ask, um, there is on Discogs, there's a cassette on Foundation Records called Live at TTD Studios. Oh. And that was the show nine fifteen twelve. so that's right around this time in eight years ago yeah in 2012 and that was their first show back and it was like a secret show in a practice studio in garden grove california which is the i live in westminster california which is the next city over so my band practices in garden grove my kids band practice in garden grove anyway it's right there so it's my understanding that this practice studio and it was the show was very intimate. I remember when it happened and I didn't go because it was like not really invite only, but like you had to, it was hard to get in from, from my understanding. And so I didn't even try because I didn't know anyone. It wasn't like, I didn't think I was going to get in. I'm pretty sure that it's the same studio where the photos for the True Till Death 7 inch were taken. The front cover, the back cover, and a lot of the photos inside, they were not taken at a live show. They set up, like, I don't wanna say a fake show, but like, they just kinda got some friends to come into this practice studio and they brought in a photographer to take photos. And the reason why they did that is because 
the they had a, a photographer come in and shoot a show and this those photos were it might have been be that and it might have been that show they talked about the soul side yeah oh yeah and, underdog and i think the photos didn't come out well right. the the negatives got scratched and so they became useless and they couldn't use them and so they're like well we fucking need live photos so they set up in this practice studio to shoot the photos and i'm like 98 percent sure that it's the same studio it that is. they record it is right yeah, yeah. it is yeah, yeah, so that's, that's wild. Cool. That that's a cool piece of history, man. That they yeah. could do that, and I wouldn't even f- call that shinfo. That's just good info. That's that history. Is, that's that info. That's yeah. info. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad they did the reunions. I'm glad I got to see them. I didn't get to see them because, like you know, I, I've mentioned before when they when they came to New York uh, in 2012. Like uh-huh. at that point, I had a two year old, and you know, money was like I couldn't just be like I'm going to New York. So I'm hoping that after this all you know the world opens up in a year yeah. or god whenever the hell it is that uh they come and and play a proper show in philly because i'd love to see chain um especially now after this doing this interview um i would love to see chain yeah i for, for whatever reason i'd never seen chain of strength either i don't know you were the worst California. But you saw Circle Storm, which I think is cool. Yeah, so I saw Circle Storm. Yeah. And I and I experienced Circle Storm playing a true told. And this is in the time when Chain of Strength, like it wasn't even maybe a question of them playing. So, yeah. you know, anytime a band covers one of these songs, of course, everyone's going to go crazy. But to hear Kurt and his very distinct vocals and... It, it, you could tell it, that this video that I'm talking about is on YouTube. We'll post it on the where it went Facebook. Yes. Yeah. But and you can see Javier. Yeah, you the can cover. see me like during the cover. I'm wearing a fucking sick of it all basketball jersey and like Jinko jeans. <laughs> it's like quite an outfit, man. I gotta tell you. But I, I, you know, I didn't really enjoy Circle Storm at the time. I think I was already because so '97. That's like you know, vegan mosh warrior time for me. That's like earth crisis, abnegation, green rage. Like I was stuck in that fucking dive bombs and singing about animal rights probably. But okay. um, of course, if, if someone starts playing a chain of strength song, I don't care if I'm wearing fucking eyeliner and creepers <laughs> yeah. and black nail polish, I'm going to fucking sing along to yeah. that. that. That was peak chain of strength love time for me. Well, the peak has just stayed consistent. But like yeah. when that Circle Storm LP came out, in the liner notes, it actually says songs four and five written by Chain of Strength or songs three and four, whatever songs it was. But I was like, holy shit. Right, because yeah, that's the closest we're going to get at that yeah. point. And yeah, and 97 is like the Rev Vival era, right? Yeah. That's like, yeah. like In My Eyes and those bands started really picking up and – and they were supposed to play out here and it, it got canceled. Mm-hmm. Circle Storm was, yeah. They were supposed Storm. to play DC. So, yeah. yeah. I, w- I would love to talk to Tim about this stuff. If we can get Tim on a bit of bonus episode mm-hmm. to talk chain, I'm trying to put it out there to make Throwing it, it out into the universe. Yeah. I think that I'm going to try and wear an all white outfit with some yeah. white, white Nikes, white shorts, and a white Dude. shirt next time. I play bass and try and get a photo just like the cover of the True Till Death 7 inches. Oh, there, there's, a, there's a video of Chain playing. I think it's the Anthrax where um, Kurt's wearing a white hoodie hood up and that shit is awesome. Yeah, oh, they, had the, they had the style. So they I guess the before we close out 
there's two things um, I did want to, and, and I know probably same for you, Javier, um, and, and even Jason, um, I wanted to bid a bow because <laughs> this one took a long time. And I just want to <laughs> bid a bow my family for being super patient um, yeah. because it was a long time to have to be quiet. So I need to uh, find a safe space maybe in the, in the basement or something where I can, you know, eventually set up down there and record. So bit of bow to them for being patient and, uh, bit you know, bow to the Pollards. Yeah. Approving yeah. of, uh, you know, all this. Cause it is long. I was like, Oh my gosh, this was a long time. But, um, I also so wanted to throw out on the Instagram, I posted the next nine episodes mm-hmm. and, um, a lot of people uh, were talking about being excited to hear about Slipknot. Interesting. So I wanted to throw out there that we have one of the things I want to do with Slipknot is I challenge everybody. It's on Spotify. If you don't own it, um, it's on the streaming services. I'm sure you can get it on YouTube. That's not your thing. For those who've never listened to Slipknot, which I can say actually right now, as of today's date, I haven't listened to Slipknot yet. What? Go listen to the record. I haven't. I've listened to the new metal Slipknot. Right. So go listen to the Slipknot 7-inch and call into our Google Voice um, and give us your opinion on, you know, it, just for like a minute, what you thought of it. If you're already a fan, call in. Because I want to. we want to play a bunch of these reactions, either if it's a first reaction or, you know, you're already a fan. Uh, the number is 949 274 nine 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 two because uh we want to play them on that on that show because slipknot's a freaking mystery man hit us and, again um, with the number one more time yeah nine one, four one more time one more time it's nine four nine two seven four nine 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 two yeah and so I actually just leave like a minute voicemail you know and, and tell us what you think of slipknot if you've never heard or if you're already a fan hit it up i chose yeah. the nine four nine area code on uh, Google Voice because that's South Orange County. Uh, and I grew up in like Newport Beach, Costa Mesa. And for a long time it was 714 and Rev is currently in 714, but um, 714 didn't have any good phone numbers available. And I wanted something that was easy. And the 9992 is super easy to remember. We have had a few calls in the past week I was actually driving home last night and my phone rings and it's like a New York and my wife's like, why is someone from New York calling you right now at 10 PM? And I'm like, yo, that's someone for the fucking Google voice. We're getting, yeah. a, we're getting a message right now. So yeah, I'm super stoked if people call in and they're like, yeah, this is my first time listening to Slipknot seven inch and it's fucking wild dude. Or yeah. if, you know, we are trying to nail down an interview for that episode, but if we can't, we want to know what you think about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I want to add before we close is I decided I made this decision on my own. Instead of saying next week, I'm going to uh-huh. say next time. Yeah, next time. That way, that way, if we have detours like that happened, you know, because of this. Because, you know, people's schedules are, are hard to pin down even during now. And, you know, we wanted to, it was either don't have chain of strength on or wait a week. And I think after hearing this interview. I'm so glad we waited. Like, hey, wait. So yeah. we'll say next time, and then that way, if we take a detour, we're not liars. <laughs> so yeah. uh, next time, we have a Bold, self-titled 7-inch, and uh, looking, slash, looking back, slash looking back, 12-inch. So that's, that's going to be a fun one. Yeah, a big it's one. Yeah, going to be awesome. 
A huge one. That is a big one. Yeah, ginormous. Yeah. So ginormous. I mean, that's that's all I got, man. Hey, yeah. let me let me just bit it, but everyone that's come on for the interviews one last time, you touched on it, but it is we realize they're giving up their time and they're and they're talking with us, and we appreciate it. And if anyone out there has contact info for Zach De La Roca and can get him to come talk inside out with us, please, please. This is not a drill. We this is not a drill. Zach De La Roca to come here and talk about inside out. And I'll tell you why, because he's, he's never, to my knowledge, done any interviews about that whole era and inside out is a super important band it's a huge band whether, for a lot of people whether maybe he you know he's probably far enough removed and that's totally okay uh where he doesn't see the importance within hardcore but the inside out record is super important i think the only time i can recall him ever talking about inside out after being in rage against the machine was um anti-matter and even that yes. was just a brief you know mention of it so seriously I, I know it sounds like well these guys are you know shooting for the stars but or shoot for the moon what's the moon yeah, both. yeah. we're shooting okay. for the moon but if anyone knows how to get in touch with zach um i mean people that have even people that listen that have been on the show that know zach you can let them know that we will uh you know talk to him with total honor and uh you know respect for uh you know what he wants out there yeah, tell him, tell him the word. Me and Sean Mutaki will take him out for a burger at Veggie Grill. You know, that <laughs> I would love to at least, um, you know, pay, pay back the interview somehow. Yeah. So, all right. That's all I got. Yeah. A great episode. We'll see you next time. Bidibo. 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 All right, gentlemen. Hey everybody, this is Javier from the Where It Went podcast. Just wanted to give a special thanks to our super fan tier on Patreon. Brandon Cavell, Chad Keplinger, John Cowell, O'Neill the Horsefucker, Tim Shear, Mike the Mosher, our main dude Ryan Rainbow, and I also wanted to give a special thanks to Vadim Tabor for giving us this awesome new outro music. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you real soon.